Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with your WWE WrestleMania 39 Ultimate Preview. That's right, getting over is back as the road to WrestleMania is reaching its end. That means your favorite source of performance-enhancing audio is here as always, to break down all 13 matches for now across two nights of WrestleMania as WWE WrestleMania goes Hollywood in Los Angeles, California. Folks, this is going to be an absolutely jam-packed edition of Getting Over as we dive into the go-home storylines for every match, recap the journeys that we took to get to these very special moments we offer our picks we're going to predict the booking and the winners and we're going to extrapolate all of that into what directions we expect wwe will go beginning next monday night on that infamous raw after wrestlemania every match every angle all right here in one show and it is just the first of seven podcasts that getting over is bringing to you over the next eight days we kick this show off it is indeed episode 420 and whoa i'm really high we're kicking this off it is your wrestlemania 39 ultimate preview and if you happen to be listening to this show closer to mania itself and you want to skip right to the match preview portion of the show be sure to check our episode description for timestamps but as i said This is the beginning of a huge week here in the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast universe. This is the WrestleMania 39 Ultimate Preview. On Wednesday, we will be back with your NXT Stand and Deliver Ultimate Preview. On Thursday, we will cover the latest from AEW, along with a short preview for ROH Super Card of Honor. On Saturday afternoon, we will have an NXT Stand and Deliver Instant Analysis. Later that day, live on Twitter Spaces at Getting Overcast, a WrestleMania 39 Night 1 pre-show. Then, later Saturday, your WrestleMania 39 instant analysis for Night 1. On Sunday, your WrestleMania 39 Night 2 pre-show live on Twitter Spaces, once again, at Getting Overcast. Then Sunday night, your WrestleMania 39 instant analysis for Night 2. And of course, next Tuesday, Same bat time, same bat channel. One week from now, your Raw after WrestleMania episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. That is seven podcasts in eight days, plus two live shows. Folks, everything we do, we do it for you. Now, singing aside, shitty singing aside, on that note, I wanted to share a new opportunity that now exists here with Getting Over because we have officially opened the equivalent of a Patreon through buymeacoffee.com. The link is in our Twitter bio at Getting Overcast. We also created a new link tree, so you can go check that out. You can become an official Getting Overhead with a monthly or annual membership and receive a few exclusives, including extra audio and news. You can also contribute to our wish list as we save up for a recording platform that we suddenly needed in a really unfortunate surprise. Or you can buy us a coffee, a beer, or whatever you like by clicking the support button. And guess what? Even with this new venture we are taking, it's all about 
Defy. We appreciate you guys so much. We are keeping this show free. We are not charging anything for the podcast itself. These are just getting over extras. And we do hope that you choose to support and acknowledge us on a consistent basis as we continue producing this show, not just free of charge, but almost always ad free. Chris, so excited to offer this to our listeners. So excited to have you along for the ride on this WrestleMania 39 Ultimate Preview. How hyped are you right now going into this show? It's here, man. WrestleMania week. It it, it, kind of snuck up on us. It feels like we just did the Rumble and Elimination Chamber. It's been a very largely smooth WrestleMania season. A couple roadblocks and stuff here and there. We were concerned about some things. But in the end, we're getting a card I think we're really excited about. And I'm excited to talk about all this. There was that one week like going into Elimination Chamber and then coming out of it where it kind of seemed like many of the expectations we had for WrestleMania weren't going to happen. And I think we got kind of in our heads about it. But really, once that passed, it's been smooth sailing. Now, again, that's not to say everything's perfect. We've talked ad nauseum about the women's booking being a point of contention for us. But nevertheless, for a 13-match card, again, there may be one or two possibly added, maybe a couple surprises in store in Los Angeles. Largely, like you just said, this has been smooth sailing. And that is appreciated, especially for us as podcasters, as we try to break down this show for all of you. Now, folks, in terms of what's ahead on this edition of Getting Over, we will have a main event, a brief edition of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. We will book the WrestleMania cards a little bit and then, of course, give you our entire detailed WWE WrestleMania 39 ultimate preview with a pre-show expectation grade at the end and again We will have timestamps in the episode description, so you can jump around. You can go right to those picks and predictions if you want at the end of the show. Chris, before we get to the main event, before we really kick this thing off, I would be remiss if I did not remind everyone that on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, I happen to love the number five. So be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. If you leave a five-star written review, Not only would we appreciate it, we'll read it live right here on the show. And as I've already mentioned a couple times, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, not just for those live shows on Twitter spaces Saturday and Sunday before WrestleMania, but also for episode drops, news analysis highlights, and so much more. And don't forget, check our Twitter bio for our new link tree, including the link so you can become an official Getting Overhead. It is now time to get into this WrestleMania ultimate preview edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, and we are kicking it off, as we always do on these WWE shows, by sliding into the main event. This is the main event! Now, I do have a multi-part main event here, but Chris, they're all relatively, I think, short conversations that I wanted to have around WrestleMania, and really the first one here is whether we believe that this chapter of the bloodline storyline will conclude and the page will get turned at WrestleMania 39, not just Saturday and night one, but Sunday in the main event of night two. And the overarching conversation that we've been having on this podcast for the better part of a year has been the incredible storytelling involving the bloodline. And we were reminded this week that this story is not just important to Roman Reigns and the Noy family, but also Paul Heyman, whose hands have been in every bit of Reigns' return, the formation of the bloodline, 
and the way in which this has all played out on television and premium live events. In many ways, this is Paul Heyman's magnum opus. He posted a photo of himself with the Samoan SWAT team, aka the Head Shrinkers, Samu and Fatu, of course, Rikishi, uh, from 1989. And we've known for a long time his love and respect really going both ways with the Samoan dynasty. Paul's entire life has been wrestling, going back to sneaking into the WWWF shows under Vince McMahon Sr., the infamous story of him conniving his way into becoming a wrestling photographer at Madison Square Garden. He's been a photographer, a writer, a director. He's owned a successful rival to WWE and WCW in ECW. He's worked for all three major organizations, Paulie Dangerously and the Dangerous Alliance in WCW. He's led creative for a period of time in WWE, overseen pretty much the entire wrestling career of Brock Lesnar and the resurgence of Roman Reigns into what he has always been meant to be. And while doing the latter with Reigns, he is the brains behind what I consider to be the greatest storyline in professional wrestling history. And I should note, I tried to get Paul Heyman for an interview on the show. Didn't succeed. We have interviewed him before, but I do hope to get him at some point soon. But Paul took a storyline here with Roman that started during a pandemic and has stretched out over three years, making it again, I will say, into arguably the greatest professional wrestling storyline of all time. And Chris, it's not lost on me that this storyline has basically been the entire life of our podcast. Like we have almost completely existed in a world in which Roman Reigns is the undisputed WWE Universal Champion and the bloodline story has been going. So you have Heyman, you have Vince McMahon, Triple H, they all deserve credit here for telling such a nuanced story, such a layered story, an intriguing story. But it has been Heyman, the one leading the charge the entire time. You can tell how much this means to him. Like I said, it's his magnum opus. And I say all of that to not only put over Heyman, which I clearly just did, but also as a roundabout way to note that he knows where this story needs to go. And he knows this story needs to flip chapters at a minimum. And there's no better or bigger stage to do that than at WrestleMania. You know, I, I had a similar thought, but not about Heyman. Did you watch the a biography on Yokozuna? I did uh, not. I'm, I'm, I'm like... 15 behind on those, honestly. I, I am too, but I, I, I caught this one, and WWE had done Yoko stuff before, but it ends with Rikishi and other members of his family going to Yoko's grave. Oh, and wow. they lay they lay uh the 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 necklace that Roman Reigns wears. It's called I think it's called like a Ula Fala uh the red stones. Necklace. That that deal? Yes, the okay. redstone type necklace. They laid that at his grave. And it just reminded me that the real bloodline story was about the bloodline. Right. We had the Sami Zayn stuff, honorary you stuff come and go. We've had the Cody stuff come. And it feels like this could be the moment to end the championship part of the bloodline story. And after WrestleMania, go back to the family dynamic part, whether that's Jey Uso, whether that's The Rock, whether that's all of that. 
and yeah, this is an opportunity to end this chapter of the bloodline without just ending it completely. Mm-hmm. And so that came to mind when I watched that on, on Sunday night. Well, you know, we talked so much about The Rock against Roman Reigns at WrestleMania 39. It's in Los Angeles, all that type of stuff. You know, if they want to do that match at 40, if they can get Rock to commit to doing it, that's the next year of storyline. It's him against the family and him going through Jay and Jimmy and Solo, maybe even in the exact opposite order that I just listed them, right? So there is that remaining chapter, and it's why... And we'll talk about this more in the Ultimate Preview when we actually give our match prediction. And one of the questions I'm going to ask you when we get to that, is there any booking where it would make sense for Roman to retain the titles? And and we'll go ahead and talk about that later. But it's why I'm pretty steadfast, as a bit of a spoiler here, uh, that there's not. You know, the titles aren't... the, The titles helped make him the tribal chief and give him the stature and the status that he needed to take over his family. But he doesn't need to continue his title reign to keep telling the bloodline story. And I think that's really the key that we're going to focus on when we discuss it later. And then of course, coming out of WrestleMania. Yeah. We've called this the greatest storyline in decades. And it's because there are so many levels to it, so many layers to it. And it's remained fresh for almost three years now. And it's arguably as hot as it's ever been. Yeah. It's a real credit to everybody involved. It absolutely is. There's not really uh, a question whatsoever about that. Uh, the other topic, or one of the other topics I wanted to talk about here in the main event is whether this signals an end of an era for WWE. You know, this may be the last WrestleMania under a Vince McMahon or McMahon family owned WWE. And it might be the last even under a creative team run by members of his regime or of his family. Now, The former is more likely than the latter. I think anyone who buys WWE would be an absolute fool to just upend the creative staff, given the level at which the product is running now and how hot things are. But there is an air of uncertainty, you know, over these proceedings. And I did see that uh, CNBC, someone came on, um, this guy who keeps kind of changing his story a little bit when he talks about the WWE sale and, and stuff. And he said, hey, there's actually a lot of competition right now. There's a lot of people really interested in buying WWE, he mentioned private equity, uh, Endeavor, um, Liberty Media, like a whole bunch of places. And really the only thing that he said, uh, the only organization that he said is not interested is Comcast, which of course owns CNBC, which is why I don't exactly believe that that's not the case, especially given the numbers that WWE does for Peacock. But really, Chris, my point in mentioning this is just to say we are entering a WrestleMania that could be the end of an era. And it feels weird to say that, you know, there's no guarantee that WWE gets sold. There's no guarantee that if it gets sold, that it's to someone that's going to drastically change what WWE is. But, you know, for us growing up watching this product, uh, the, you know, I've lived during the vast majority of WWE's existence, um, or really the entirety of technically WWE's existence, but the vast majority of WWF's existence it, it seems like a seminal moment for the product. And I'm just really curious to see what happens uh, coming after the show. That is a good, good, good point. Um, it's the first one that we don't know that Vince McMahon has been in charge of largely that as well. I actually forgot to mention that. That's a good point. Yeah. Getting more and more involved. We don't know exactly, but uh, you know, and there was a report, I don't remember where it was, saw a couple weeks ago that WWE has actually cut down on the number of people it's bringing to Mania, like a lot of 
staff from everywhere that they kind of get everybody together, bring them in. Mm -hmm. uh, it sounded like they were cutting back on costs for Mania for, for, for little things like that, possibly to set up a sale and make the revenue numbers, the profit numbers from WrestleMania look better. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see. And actually, this morning, there was a report in uh, Sportico that Endeavor is considering selling IMG Academy, whether that has anything to do with WWE. I have no idea. But, yeah, this might be the last WrestleMania with the McMahons owning the company. Yeah, and it's just going to be really interesting to kind of see how things transpire. I did mention a couple shows ago that, hey, man, if, if someone's going to buy WWE, well, it sure as hell make a lot of sense to do it coming out of what's going to be the most profitable um, WrestleMania of all time, you know, potentially. So that that's when you would want to say, hey, we're buying it and big news and, and everyone praise us and, you know, talk about us in the media. So we'll see if that happens uh, shortly after or perhaps even somehow during uh, WrestleMania weekend. I think the only way it would happen during the weekend is if it's Peacock and they could tie it in together. I doubt that'll be the case. And lastly here on the main event, the go-home shows. I wanted to break those down a little bit. I thought SmackDown on Friday was mediocre. There was one major highlight. Not necessarily an odd situation. You know, number one, they were going up against the Elite Eight. They decided to save a lot of that momentum. I guess it was the Sweet 16 on Friday, technically. They are going up against the Sweet 16 and decided to save most of the big go-home moments for Raw. We got a few. And SmackDown, of course, we're getting Roman Reigns and Cody Rose for the last time. Most of the big matches had already been built for the show. This does tend to happen. Still, SmackDown, I thought, left a lot to be desired when you compared it to the SmackDown two weeks ago, and then Raw as well. Raw, I thought, came across nicely. It is insane to me, though, Chris, that Roman Reigns is missing two of the final three television shows before WrestleMania. I'll touch more on that later, but it's one of the reasons why both of these episodes kind of fell flat a little bit. Right. No Roman, just, it, it sticks out, and it sticks out when you're three and two shows away from WrestleMania, so that was uh, notable. Um they called this WrestleMania, if I have this correctly, they called last night's Raw, I'm sorry, they called it WrestleMania Raw. Yes. But it's not WrestleMania Raw. I thought WrestleMania Raw was the Monday after. No, 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 no. That is the Raw after WrestleMania. Very different. Okay, I guess I just never noticed. It they did this, I'm almost, I'm almost positive they did this last year. That they did, I don't know about Raw, you but might, I'm you, almost you positive they did WrestleMania SmackDown. Right before uh, yes. the show. Yes, that, that is true. Yes, completely. So I, I don't yeah. know. That was There were a lot of logos. It was a lot of words. Um, <laughs> it was a lot of logos. I, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to SmackDown, but it's going to be going up against the women's Final Four, which is going to do good numbers as well. So um, it was a solid go home. They set everything up, but there was no like, oh, my God, see you at WrestleMania after like a big event. Maybe we get that at SmackDown. Yeah, and I do think that we will. Um, so, Chris, that's the main event. We have a brief segment coming up here, and then we're going to fully get into WrestleMania. But that segment, you guys know it. You guys love it. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez. I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some... Jordan. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in them articles that I read. All right, only two topics on this, the good, the bad, and the ugly. First, WWE will hold the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal on the go-home SmackDown. Basically, everyone who is not on the WrestleMania card from the 
male roster. On Raw, a bunch of wrestlers were excited to be in the match. Elias kept bumping into all the big dudes. And the graphic that we got for it notably featured Bobby Lashley, LA Knight, and Xavier Woods, all of whom we have been discussing rather frequently here as not being on the Mania card. Lashley is obviously there because the Bray Wyatt deal got dropped for what has only been reported to this point as an illness. It seems like he is set to completely miss WrestleMania. As we've said, Lashley, Brock Lesnar, we've always wanted that feud to actually finish at Mania, and now it makes even less sense that it's not. Of course, hindsight is 2020, and everyone believes that it makes sense, I think it's fair to say, for Lashley, Knight, and to some degree, Xavier Woods to be involved with WrestleMania, because New Day right now is not involved in WrestleMania whatsoever. Big E, obviously, with the broken neck. Kofi Kingston injured his ankle a couple weeks ago, and Woods is the third wheel, for lack of a better term. I don't mean that, but he's the one left healthy, but not on the card. Now, maybe Lashley and Knight get into it while being eliminated from this match, and they have a bonus match on the pay-per-view. You know, I don't know exactly what they're going to do, but I appreciate that they're doing the Battle Royal to get everyone shine in front of the big Los Angeles crowd, fly everyone out to Los Angeles. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a reason for a lot of them to be out there. I'm good with the booking. I'm glad it's not on the Mania card itself. And I do think that we'll get a couple storyline elements coming out of it. Very glad they're having it. I think I said this a week or so ago that I, I want them to do. I want the men's and the women's Battle Royals. I like both of them. Um, and you throw all the people involved to get them on. Yeah. W- would we have loved to have LA night somewhere? Yes. Uh, I, they keep saying an LA WrestleMania without LA night. I'm still curious. Don't like, you mean to answer that? Something. Don't you mean to answer that, Chris? Would you like to have LA night somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so look, you're right. Maybe we get something out of the battle Royal that leads to a match on the card. Um, I don't know, but I've always just, I generally hate the Battle Royal happening on the SmackDown before. Um, Battle Royal is always a great pre-show match, and I know they don't really do the pre-show matches anymore, but it was just like, it just like, it fit there, I always felt like. So, like that they're doing it, like the people involved, maybe something comes out of it, but spending a quarter or longer of SmackDown on it is always weird. It's interesting that you mentioned the pre-shows, because in the past, they've promoted them as, Two-hour pre-shows starting at 6 p.m. There's no information um, about WrestleMania right now. Like, we'll, we'll talk later, but they haven't announced what matches are on what night. They've done a couple, but very few. Um, we don't know any information about the kickoff show, if it's one hour each, if it's two hours each. Um, are there going to be matches on them? I don't think they've made any announcements about press conferences, and that's something that is a hallmark here under Triple H doing a press conference. Are they going to do one after each night? Are they going to do one big one after night two? This is all stuff that hasn't been announced. And again, WrestleMania starts in four days, the first day, you know, Saturday, four days away. Yeah. So I don't know. I, it's weird. The Hall of Fame was delayed. A lot, a lot of these things just not getting yeah. announced. The, the last Hall of Fame entrant got announced five days before Mania. I mean, it's crazy. Four days before the ceremony. It's, it's really strange the way they've kind of rushed to the finish here. Hey, maybe that's a lack of experience from Triple H. Maybe that's what this is. Maybe there were some hiccups. It's tough to say. Yeah, I don't know, because the stories have been told pretty well. It's just it's almost like it feels like they forgot <laughs> to do a couple things. And we got to throw we got to throw some matches and things together at the last minute. Yeah, possibly. And, and lastly, that was I said, it's a two part uh, segment here. We got the final WrestleMania goes Hollywood vignette with the bloodline doing the funny like a clown scene with Joe Pesci from Goodfellas. Easily 
without question, the best of the bunch. I mean, the Joker one with Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch, I think it's a clear number two, but not only was this good, it was the best. It was the one that all the rest of them should have been like. And I think they closed strong with the last two. Uh, I forgot what the one that preceded this immediately was. I'll try to look it up if you don't remember. But last week, this was week, and the, the Joker t- were the three best. Yes. Yeah. Th- this was easily the best one. I like. I watched this, and I was like, man, Paul Heyman should have gone into acting. <laughs> he is so good. He did, though. Like, I mean, you, that's what like, wrestling is, you know? I mean, like he could have, you could, he could play his character mm-hmm. in Hollywood and have just killed it. Like I just, he is so incredibly talented. He, he really, really shined in this and it was, it was hilarious. Great stuff. Indeed. So before we get to the WWE WrestleMania 39 ultimate preview, where we break down everything, this is the last time we will have a chance to book the damn territory for WrestleMania. Uh, and Chris, this is a hell of a card. Okay. Outside of the women's showcase match, there's not a popcorn or bathroom match on the entire card. It's absolutely loaded for both nights. And it does have an opportunity to be at the end in all-time WrestleMania. My lone real frustration, and this is what I just mentioned, is that we're four days out and we don't know what night the majority of the matches are going to be held. I could see holding over a couple till Friday, and I have to imagine that they're going to announce the cards either before SmackDown or on SmackDown. But with so many tickets sold, I'm a bit confused as to why they haven't been more specific about the card. So that's really the purpose of this segment. Now, originally, we were going to build our own cards within the parameters that we already know, the matches that have already been set. But with so much unknown and a long show ahead, we're just going to go over a couple highlights on how we would build our card for each of the nights. And what I looked at is Triple H's history building premium live event cards. Since he's taken the reins, we really have had limited events that we can use as references in terms of predicting, right? A lot of them have actually had special matches that have screwed things up. So the Royal Rumble, for example, two Rumble matches, Elimination Chamber, two of those war games. But where Triple H differs from Vince McMahon historically in his card building both on the main roster and through NXT takeovers, is he stacks them like real fight cards, which is what I appreciate. In other words, he doesn't throw popcorn matches before the main event. So coming out of Raw, there were a number of matches that were mentioned as being on Saturday. But it's tough to know what's solid and what's not. So Bianca Belair and Asuka seem to be a slip-up with Kevin Patrick saying it'll be on Saturday at WrestleMania when it seemed like he was trying to say Saturday and Sunday. And then Charlotte Flair, Rhea Ripley, we've long thought that would be night one. But the only time a date for that was mentioned was in a line as part of a promo package. There were no statements made. No graphics have been released specifying what is on which night. The only three that we know for 100% certainty are Austin Theory, John Cena opening night one, which WWE is doing both for the big pop and to get fans into the stadium early. So it's not a late arriving crowd like every L.A. event. Seth Rollins, Logan Paul on night one, since it's Logan's birthday, and Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes as the night two main event. So Chris, I'm not exactly sure how we should do this, but we should kind of break down the way we think um, these matches are going to unfold. Maybe I just go ahead and do it, and then you come back. I'll I'll just add that Wikipedia, at the the moment we're recording, also has the six-woman match 
Uh, Bianca, uh, Asuka, and Brock Omos also happening on night one. I don't know the So Becky Lynch. So Becky yeah. Lynch was on an international Becky's- TV interview. And I don't yes. I don't remember what it was, but she said it was on night one. But again, they haven't she announced said it, it was on right. She said it was on night one and then wanted to defend the titles on night two right. or something against maybe the winner of the showcase. But I again we don't know that for sure. But yeah, Wikipedia has six on night one at the moment, one on night two. But like you said, we only know for sure really three of them. Because if those were set, they would announce it. That's the way I look at it. So I feel like it's a lot of people talking and saying stuff, and maybe it all comes to fruition. But maybe it doesn't. So let me kind of break down the way I would do it, Chris, and then, you know, I guess you can come back. It's just going to be tough to kind of do this because it's really a visual exercise, right? On what match is on Yeah, you know, I, I have my night one and night two listed out. We don't need to go deep into why, but do whatever you want. Yeah, no, no, it's not going to go deep either. So, okay, night one, opener, we already know, United States Championship, Austin Theory, John Cena. Main event for me, Undisputed Tag Team Championship, the Usos against Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. It just does not make sense to have Charlotte Flair, Rhea Ripley in that spot. They've had no main event TV segments. The guys are in the main event literally every week. It's the top storyline. There's a clear difference in the build. Uh, Seth Rollins, Logan Paul, also on night one, as has already been announced. And then the other thing I would do with night one is I would, in totality, put three women's matches on the card. So I'd have the showcase, the six-woman legends match, and then I would have, actually, Bianca Belair and Asuka. You have the winners of the showcase, presumably Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler, confront the champions after the legends match. That sets up a tag team title match for night two. Then on night two, you have that early in the show and Charlotte Flair, Rhea Ripley as the co-main event both Royal Rumble winners in the final two matches of the show. You still get to call it a main event, even though it's not. And that's basically what you do for night one. Then night two, you open, um, or let me get back to the opener, sorry. You main event with the undisputed WWE Universal Championship, Roman Reigns against Cody Rhodes. As mentioned, the women's tag team title match and Flair Ripley would also be on the show. And then the one thing, and this is where I'll end it, Chris, is the night two opener. This is the toughest decision because for a week, I had in my head Brood Edge versus Demon Finn Balor inside Hell in a Cell. And I had it there mostly for logistics. I can't imagine them hanging a cell over the ring for one of the nights. That leaves two options. You either open the night with the cell already constructed, or you have to set it up and take it down somehow during the show itself. Opening night two with Hell in a Cell would allow them to get a huge pop on Edge's entrance, just like they're getting with Cena on night one. It's a match that people aren't going to want to miss. It would also ease the pain on production with the cell already set up. But the problem is that it's going to be broad daylight, 5 p.m. Pacific, and it's going to be light out until more than midway through each of the shows. Sunset in LA is 7.15 p.m. So given the brood is darkness, smoke, and fire, the demon is smoke and lights, which need darkness in order for you to see the lights, I can't see how this would work aesthetically to open up night two of WrestleMania. So I'm moving off that. That was originally my pick, but I'm going to go with the Intercontinental Championship, Gunther, uh, Drew McIntyre, and Sheamus. It might be the best work rate match on the entire card, parallel of the mid-card titles opening both nights. We may not get a Cena pop, but if they do a title change, then that could kick off night two with a bang. I just don't see any of the women's matches, Lesnar, Omos, or the Mysterios in that spot. So I, ju- I I evaluated my 
card making based on what I experienced last year in person. And that is the first couple of matches for each night are really hot. And then you kind of Mm -hmm. cool down a bit in the middle, especially night two. The middle of night two, in my experience, was the deadest moment because you're you're kind of getting tired at that point. And you've got the biggest match coming at the end. Mm-hmm. So the way I, I, I did the same thing, Cena Theory obviously opens night one. I would also follow that up with Seth Logan Paul because you get two back-to-back big stars, a lot of energy, like feed off that energy early on. Close it with Usos and K1 Sammy night one. Uh, close night two with Roman and Cody. I opened night two as well with the Intercontinental Championship match because it's a title match and that that's often a good opener. Or Ray versus Dominic as a night two opener because that is really, I think, the third hottest story coming into this show, especially with what happened uh, over SmackDown and Raw. Uh, so I, either way, I would open up with, with those two. And, and to your point about Finn versus Edge, the cage and all that stuff, I do have it later in night two because of that, because I I was at SoFi Stadium for the national championship game this year. It's an indoor stadium, but it's open on the sides. And so it's kind of a unique setup in that sense. I'm very curious how it would look. We've seen it with football and stuff like some, depending on the angle that you're looking at, it can look like night or it can look like daytime. So, you know, like, but the wrestling match, you're going to have cameras down on the side of the ring looking up. You're going to see the outside. So to your point, I do think that Finn versus Edge needs to be later on either of the nights because you're going to want the darkness for the entrances and everything. Right. Like, even though it's even though it's covered, it still looks a lot lighter because it's open on the on in areas and spots. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that's why. I mean, look, maybe they figure out a way like they put a huge cloth over them to <laughs> cover it up. I mean, I, I can't imagine them doing that. that. Like a lot of options. Look, there's a lot of, again, a lot of really good matches on yeah. both nights. And that's why the order is so interesting because it's not like, Oh, here's the dead match. You're going to put this here. It's like, it's, it's tough. It's it is. tough to order these because they've all got a good case. It is. I mean, if I, you know, if we had our druthers and, and we had enough time to literally sit and break it all down, I would explain, and I had done this. I did the exercise of like setting up both cards and having them make sense. You can easily do it. Um, whether you want to have that women's tag team title match or not. And we'll talk about that more in a moment, but it it's difficult in the same degree. It's not as long as you focus on like, okay, Let's have a big meaty match on each night. So Brock and Omos is on one night and the Intercontinental Championship is on another night. Let's put three women's matches on one night and two on the other night. Um, Let's have the two main events be the biggest storyline in the company. Once you set those up, there's only so many other matches to divvy up. And really, it's just an exercise on what do you want each night? What do you want to make sure doesn't get overshadowed by other stuff? And who do you have winning if you're WWE? Because what you don't want is one night filled with title changes and babyface wins and the other filled with title retentions and heel wins. So you need to kind of like divvy those up appropriately across both shows. So I actually don't think the exercise is that difficult, but it's clear that WWE has been thrown some curveballs throughout this process. And perhaps that's one of the reasons why they're announcing it so late, or just perhaps so many other things have been going on that like we mentioned earlier, affected the Hall of Fame announcements, affected some of the storyline builds. 
um, and perhaps affected them finalizing the cards on what's going to happen each night at WrestleMania. So Chris, that was the rest of the show. It is now time to get into the meat of this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, and that is our WWE WrestleMania 39 Ultimate Preview. We're going to break down every single match across the two-night card. First, we're going to talk about what happened on SmackDown and Raw for all of these matches. We will then wrap up with our thoughts on the storylines, give our picks and predictions, and at the very end, after all of that is done, we, of course, will have our pre-show expectation grade for WrestleMania 39. We'll do a singular grade for both nights, and then, of course, as we break down the shows with Instant Analysis Podcast on Saturday and Sunday, we will do two separate grades and, of course, a combined grade as well. Lots of grading going on here at Getting Over. So, Chris, let's kick this off with the Women's Showcase match. We'll get to who's in it momentarily because a lot of that was decided this week. On SmackDown, Natalia and Shotzi fought Zia Lee and Lacey Evans. Lacey accidentally knocked out Zia with the women's right. Shotzi then took her out with a great to- tope suicida. Legitimately, one of the best tope suicidas I've seen from a woman in years. Like, then they hit a modified heart attack, and Natalia won with the sharpshooter in four minutes. After the bell, Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler entered. They pointed out that they had either injured physically or mentally all four of the women in the match. Baszler wanted to take them all out, but Rousey said they've done enough fighting in Las Vegas, referring to their MMA careers. Baszler then announced they got added to the showcase match anyway, so apparently not everyone had to qualify. Was this all great? No. I'm not going to freak out about it, though, either. It's a low-card match. Natty and Shotzi have teamed before. Neither Lacey nor Zaya are relevant right now. So a four-minute match, given how many storylines are out there, it's a shrug for me. What I disliked was Rousey and Baszler just being added when everyone else had to qualify, even if they do actually deserve it, like in reality, in kayfabe. And even if I liked their promo, which I did, it would have been nice to at least see them like bully Adam Pierce into giving them a spot. Yeah, like, again, this kind of got thrown together a week ago or so or two, and then they didn't kind of even totally follow the plan. So, like, look, it was a bit haphazard. It ultimately gets us to a match that I think is worth having. Ronda and Shayna do deserve this spot. By the way, did you see Ronda Rousey's Instagram post a couple days ago? I did. She shit on WWE creative for the feud with Liv Morgan, calling them octogenarian men who book women's wrestling. Who also only give women's wrestling five minutes at a time. It's not unfair. Uh, so, so that was, it, yeah, it's in Rhonda. Like the women do a really good job on social media of like blending kayfabe and reality together really well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was just, that was interesting, but yep. I, I think haphazard way to get here, but it makes sense. The only thing is I just, I wish, um, I guess we'll get it happened on raw, but keep going ahead, I guess. Yeah, we'll get to raw. So Baron Corbin was backstage complaining to Pierce that, He's doing a ton of media for WrestleMania, and he doesn't have a match, even though he used to run the shows like Pierce did. Chelsea Green interrupted, asking why she's not in the showcase match. Pierce really should have just said, well, because you lost. You had a chance, and you lost. But he said, Green, you don't have a partner, and Piper Nevin wants nothing to do with you. So all of a sudden, Sonya Deville appropriately stepped in, and yada, 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 they got a qualifying match. So we got Green and Deville against Meechin and Candice LeRae. Candice had a really cool step-up senton, then a tilting splash with Meechin. With some distractions and interference, Green hit the unprettier on Meechin, and the heels won in two minutes. As much I was as I was fine with what we got on SmackDown, this was atrocious. Like, I'll give creative a bit of a break, Clearly, there have been some issues getting this thing booked. Obviously, 
The plan was for Chelsea and Carmella to team together. And let's not forget, a couple of weeks ago, we were decently excited about them becoming a team. But poof, all of a sudden, Mella is suddenly gone again for no reported reason. Obviously, we hope she's okay. And Chelsea was kind of left without a partner. I don't know why exactly they even did Piper last week. They could have just done Sonia and gotten this completed. But look, this division, even when they try to make a team, it's just straight up cursed at this point. Chelsea Sonia does work. And complaint department, which is I think is what Pierce suggested their name be, that was funny. The qualifiers sucked. The truth is, Meechan and Candice, if they had been added to this match, they would have really helped the wrestling element of the match be good because they're much better wrestlers than Chelsea Green and Sonia Deville. But Green and Deville, from a heel standpoint, getting in the match for Chelsea to be in WrestleMania just a couple months after returning to WWE, that was obviously really cool. So the qualifier sucked. I'm glad that they're ultimately getting a chance, though, in the match. Yes, and ultimately, yeah, we, we hope Carmella's okay. Not sure what happened. Uh, we haven't seen anything, but clearly she was supposed to be in this. Obviously. Was not. They chose Piper. They chose Piper last week so she could take the KOD, and it looked great. You know, Sonya Oh, yeah, that's why they did that. I, Good call. Yeah. Yeah. Sonya coming back into this was actually nice to get that interaction with Pierce. Like, you could, you got a reaction from the crowd when she showed Oh, up yeah, absolutely. Talking to Pierce. Yeah. Because people remember that. Like, she was great in that role. So, Look, something happened. It was got thrown together. Ultimately, I think it's it's uh, it's okay. I agree on your point about Meechin and um, and Candice about the wrestling, but you know, two face teams, two heel teams, it works. Now, as far as a prediction, let's go and actually break down the match. We have Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez, Natalia and Shotzi, Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler, and Chelsea Green and Sonya Deville as the four teams and. Not bad set of four teams. I mean, there's talent in this match, and it's going to be exciting. It's yep. going to get a nice crowd reaction. Now, unless Rousey is hurt to the degree that she has to take time off and is only doing this because it's a big show, it's WrestleMania, then she and Baszler have to win this match. Liv and Raquel will probably be the best part of the match, and they're going to get the crowd going crazy because they're both favorites, Liv in particular. But the heels win and turn that into a number one contendership likely challenging the champions after their six-woman match, either on night two on television or at Backlash. So I'm going with Rousey and Baszler. It makes the most sense. The only way it can't be them is, again, if Rousey is legitimately hurt and they protect her in this match and they just kind of get it out of the way. I don't think they're going to do that, though. Right. I I, I think Ronda, Shayna come in here, get the win, become number one contenders. When? I don't know. But it's Ronda Rousey. She's on your WrestleMania card. Uh based on all the other, there's no other team here that makes any sense. Like Rhonda and Shayna are the team. So they're my pick. So let's move to the men's showcase match. We have Braun Strowman and Ricochet against the Street Profits, against Alpha Academy, and against the Viking Raiders. On SmackDown, the Profits were cutting their normal promo backstage where Strowman and Ricochet approached them and the four kind of exchanged words. Despite them all being faces, this ended up leading to an eight-man match, heels versus faces on Raw. Maxine Dupree got worked up watching Otis during the match. Ricochet broke a fall with the standing shooting star press. Strowman did the train shoulder tackle thing all around the ring. Then he hit his power slam. Ricochet jumped off his shoulders for a swanton bomb, and that could have been the finish. Instead, Montez Ford blind tags and hits a half-rotation, sky-high frog splash for the win. Now, here's the deal. I thought the decision to book this match was dog shit because they basically gave away the Mania match. It would have been way better to do a fatal four-way with singles or 
a tag team match with one partner from each team, just something a little bit different. Instead, we got the same eight dudes all wrestling each other with the same face heel alignments. But I would be lying to you if I didn't admit that that finish popped me massively. That was freaking awesome. So in terms of a TV match, building excitement for WrestleMania, it did succeed. I just wouldn't necessarily have booked it exactly this way. Yeah, a lot of the stuff that was booked on Raw that was just like, let's just do something and get, you know, the match is set. Let's just kind of move ahead. So uh, agree on that. But that was a that was a pretty crazy spot. I kind of felt bad for Ricochet because Ricochet looked awesome and then immediately got overshadowed. by <laughs> for He did. <laughs> Even though Ricochet is like one of the greatest high flyers of all time. So uh, but yeah, no, it was cool. So in terms of predicting the match, you got to kind of use process of elimination here. Academy, they're out. They already have another storyline they're doing with maximum male models. It's pretty clear that Chad Gable and Otis or Otis are splitting up sooner than later. The profits, they don't make much sense given they've been used really inconsistently and they've been doing some singles work recently. If we have new babyface champions, then the Raiders winning would work because it would establish them, reestablish them after losing to Drew McIntyre and Sheamus. But technically, this is not the number one contendership. I do believe it's going to be Strowman and Ricochet winning. Fan favorites, they get a big pop. I'm going to stick with that long-held prediction, but the Raiders are the only other choice, I think, for the match. But again, prediction, Strowman, Ricochet. Yeah, I don't know. This is tough. I, I really do think any three of those teams could win, and you're right. You know, if Sammy and KO are the tag champs, uh, are they... Do we have number one contender? Do we split up the, the tag belts? Like, we, we don't know. There's a lot Good on call. the table that just yeah. is, is hard to, to predict. Uh, I don't, I'm going to go with the Street Profits because I don't think they've had a big WrestleMania win in their careers, if I have that right. I'm trying to remember what they did the last couple of years. Um, the Viking Raiders would win, would make sense to be a number one contender, but this is WrestleMania showcase. This is just meant to like, right. this is a spot where either you have a famous team win, Ronda Rousey, or you have just a fan favorite team win. And I think ultimately the Street Profits are that. And I could definitely see a situation where like Rousey and Baszler work their way into their win, becoming a number one contendership. Whereas with the guys, they just don't. You know, like sometimes just some, sometimes things happen in wrestling where you just, you don't continue it and they win. And hey, maybe they do challenge for the titles or maybe the Viking Raiders get into it with them after the bell and they end up feuding. And then the winner of that ends up being the Viking Raiders. But Strowman and Ricochet get the moment on WrestleMania. There's a lot of ways you can book it. Yeah. I think in a match like this, you want to go with the big baby face pop, especially with Rousey and Baszler winning on the other side. So to me, that makes the most sense. Okay, moving to Brock Lesnar and Omos. On Raw, we had the weigh-in. Uh, Omos got new music, which was a better track but it didn't include any vocals like his original one. So whether you liked it more or not kind of weighs on which of those you prefer. Uh, MVP said Lesnar cannot superplex. MVP said Lesnar cannot suplex or F5 Omos, setting the stage for him to, you know, do both of those things at WrestleMania. Uh, Omos uh, weighed uh, 410 pounds. Lesnar then entered the ring. He just, forget the weigh-in, he straight up attacked Omos. But when he tried to use the big metal scale as a weapon, which was odd and was never going to work, Omos just booted him straight in the face and sent him out of the ring. And Lesnar looked at him again like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do with this guy. Now, I wrote on Twitter earlier Monday that this had a really low bar to clear to be a successful weigh-in, referring, of course, to Cody Rhodes and Anthony Agogo. 
And this was absolutely better than that, no question. But it didn't add any juice to the match. And I go into WrestleMania feeling same as I did about it when it was initially booked. The spectacle is going to be cool. I just don't actually give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. And look, credit to Brock for he has been working his ass off these last couple of weeks to try to make Omos look good and to make himself look scared and play the underdog. He never gets to play the underdog. And so, like, you, it feels like he's kind of enjoying that and, and trying to make Omos look good and powerful and all these different things, you know not say, telling a couple weeks ago, like I'm not going to run back in the ring after Omos threw me out, you know, the, the stuff here. So props to Brock for, for doing that. Um, but yeah, this is all about Brock picking up Omos for an F5, which is going to be awesome. And that's about it. And that's cool. Yeah. That's just all it is. The pick is Brock. And, and this is one of those ultimate monkey's paw deals. Like, cause we've been talking about this, right? Brock Lesnar does not need to be in a title feud to be in an important match at, a premium live event or a WrestleMania. And when we said that, and we, we've been saying that for years because Vince McMahon just jammed him into the title picture every single time over and over again unnecessarily, the idea that we had was Brock Lesnar, Bobby Lashley, or Brock Lesnar, AJ Styles, or, you know, like a match of that caliber. And it seemed like we were getting Lesnar, Bobby Lashley, that it was going to end on the biggest stage at WrestleMania. And maybe egos got involved there and plans had to change or they, they never planned it for that way because of egos, whatever the case. But separate from that now, there are rumors out there that Lesnar's going to go away soon. And it's more likely to me, if that does happen, it happens after SummerSlam than after WrestleMania. Regardless of when or why he's stepping away, he's been clowned this entire feud. Omos has gotten up on him time and time again. I guess mm -hmm. if WWE wanted... They could use the old Cena feud booking where Omos beats him here and then Lesnar returns to take him down at like king and queen of the ring, given it's going to be a Saudi show. And they would obviously love this match. That's the only way I could see Omos going over here. And it would probably require some type of like hurt business reformation or even Lashley getting involved in order for that to make sense. In lieu of that happening, Lesnar hits a body slam, a German suplex and an F5 all for the spectacle, for the news headlines, and he ultimately beats Omos. That's, of course, my official prediction. And by the way, I don't want to lose sight on one thing here because, you know, we always talk about this from the pure wrestling element, and we may not love Lesnar and Omos and, and that match and stuff, but from everything I read and everything I see about this guy, he seems like a lovely person with, like, a great family and a really good intentions. Mm -hmm. And it is nice when good people get big opportunities. So no matter what we think about the match, and I do think that it's going to, from a spectacle standpoint, deliver, but good for Omos. Like, I'm glad he's getting the moment. Yes. And, and I, your your point there, hey, maybe Omos wins to set up something else. Like, I'd love that. I'd love for Omos to become the big thing, you know, the big bad moving forward. I, I, I still think he has a lot of ability. I still, you know, I think back to when he debuted, WrestleMania 37 with AJ Styles when they fought the New Day. That was so cool. Mm -hmm. That was like, oh, this we'd never seen a guy that big move like that. And he puts AJ on his shoulders. Awesome scene. It was incredible. Two years later, it doesn't seem like he's advanced any further. Right. That, that's that's the issue. Um, but he's there's certainly a role for him to play in this company without a doubt. And and this is one of them. So 
uh, yeah, I, 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 the reformed hurt business that they te- that they teased for a while, uh, we haven't gotten that tease anymore. So I, I don't know. I mean, it could well be setting up for this and they interfere and Omas wins and then Lesnar gets his win back. Like I said, in Saudi, like it, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the, it's the reverse John Cena booking where Lesnar squashed Cena and then Cena, of course, eventually came back and beat Lesnar. So they could do that and they may do that. Um, but like if Lesnar wouldn't put over Lashley because they have similar MMA credentials or whatever, even though, of course, Lesnar was the UFC heavyweight champion and Lashley was not. But he would put over Omas to get the win back. I, I don't know. I mean, it's tough to see it happening, but it could. I just wanted to kind of lay that out there as, you know, hey, you know, we think it's going to be Brock 100% no matter what. I don't know that it's 100%. I think it's like 90%. There is the opportunity for that to happen. So let's move to another match, including a big name, the United States Championship, Austin Theory defending against John Cena. And once again, this is the night one opener on Raw. Theory cut an empty arena promo before the show saying Cena didn't expose him. He can't see the future in front of his own eyes. He said he was talking in the arena alone because he doesn't do it for the fans or to be the next Cena. Theory said Cena made it personal and he will force Cena to believe in him while stopping fans from believing in Cena. Not only was this a fantastic promo, the juxtaposition of the silence with the insane energy that Cena creates when he talks, I thought it was incredibly eye and ear catching. And without Cena at Raw, I'm not sure they could have done a better go-home moment for Theory. We got one tweet, and I saw others suggesting that this showed a lack of confidence in Theory. The guy has cut a ton of strong promos in front of crowds for an entire year, and he handles crowd shit really well. I didn't see this as them lacking confidence in him. I thought they just tried to do something unique from a promo standpoint, and I thought it worked extremely well. Yeah, anytime you try to do something different, it's going to lead you asking, why did they do it differently? I think ultimately it's like you said, Cena's not there. So instead of doing just another in front of the crowd promo, try something different. You know, like like cutting a promo in front of an empty arena is difficult. Mm-hmm. We learned that in the Thunderdome era. Like that was really hard for them to do that. It put all the focus on theory and what he was saying. And so credit for trying something different. I, I thought it, it stood out. It, it, it was something to remember going into this match. The beard looks worse than ever. <laughs> I was going to say the only negative about the whole segment is the beard worse, looked worse than ever. Literally, it's a note I have right and here. I could, and I couldn't help but think, like, if this is going to be your big moment that everybody remembers as a step forward in your career, potentially, is that the look you want? He's a good looking dude. He is. I know. The beard, just, the, the beard is just not working. I kept thinking, if you got rid of the beard, like, that's a pretty good look. I, I don't know. Just trim it, it trim it close to the face. Like that's all you have to do. It's so weird. Like I, I don't understand what they're, and maybe he will, you know, it, you, it, it's hair. You I can, mean, you can trim it. It's easy. You know what I mean? M- Miz had a new haircut on Monday. I assume that was his haircut, you know, for WrestleMania. So right. I don't know. What, what's interesting is that they're starting off WrestleMania with this match. I do think that's smart. Cena is so massive though, that it is strange to begin a show with such a needle mover. Like the reasoning is likely twofold to get asses in the seats as early as possible and perhaps get Cena out of Los Angeles and off to a shoot somewhere that I have to assume that's why they're doing it. His entrance is going to be deafening though. If there's a full energy crowd, the question is, are the asses going to be in the seats? It's fair to suggest that this could have been a mid show main event for the same reason to re-energize fans. This is what you talked about earlier. 
But there are enough big matches on the card where I don't think that's going to be an issue. Yeah. My biggest thing is just I wish we'd kind of gotten more Cena in this build, even if it was just cutting a promo from via satellite or whatever. Right. Uh, Because Austin Theory's kind of had to carry this. And we we got that great back and forth a couple weeks ago, but that's, that's it. And, and they've kind of just had to rely on that. So makes sense to put it here, like you said. You know, Chris, it just seems like everyone is so sure that Theory is retaining the title here. And to be fair, Cena has not won a singles match on television since he beat Triple H at Blood Money in the Sand in 2018. But his losses wow. were the Firefly Funhouse and to Roman Reigns at SummerSlam. Those were his losses. So I ask myself, if Theory wins, then what? And I don't have an answer. He brags more. Someone else challenges him Monday. Maybe he mocks Cena with an open challenge and loses, which doesn't render Cena's put over useless, but would quickly overshadow it if he lost the title the next night, unless he's selling an injury or something like that. Whereas Cena, who is not yet retiring but may soon, He has more matches to go with more established names that he can put over in a spotlight loss. Remember, Theory is 25 years old. He's not approaching 30. Now, he does have recent wins over Seth Rollins, Bobby Lashley, and Edge. All of them were circumstantial. And he won the title in a triple threat. And then Logan Paul helped him retain the title in Elimination Chamber. It doesn't hurt Theory to lose to Cena. And if anything, I think it makes his character more interesting that he went up against his idol and he lost. And how does he recover from that? Now, there do need to be some title retentions at Mania. That and Cena's unknown schedule are the two things pulling at me here, making this, for me, one of the most difficult matches to predict on the card. But I'm guessing the reason that Cena only made one TV appearance in this build is because his second TV appearance is going to be saved for the Raw after WrestleMania. Now, Maybe I'm a victim of booking in my own head, but this is the thought I've had for a long time. Cena wins the title here again. This is the opening match of WrestleMania. The last time we've had a babyface win a title on the opening match of WrestleMania was 35 when Seth Rollins beat Brock Lesnar. Every other situation has been either a retention or the heels winning a title or the heels retaining or titles not being on the line. So I think Cena wins the title. They start Mania with a bang. I can't imagine them starting Mania with Theory beating Cena. It just doesn't compute to me. Mm. And then I think he drops it Monday night, whether that's back to Theory, a debuting Jay White in an open challenge, who knows. But I'm going out on a limb, and I'm taking the underdog, believe it or not, in this match, and I'm picking John Cena to win the United States Championship. What you just said at the end there has me thinking a lot differently. What, that it's opening Mania? right. Yeah. Do we open Mania with an Austin Theory win? I don't know. Coming into this, my thought was the title's on the line. If Cena can't be bothered to show up for the build to the match, he's not going to have a title reign on television. So the title's on the line. It's got to be Austin Theory. But you're right. Would you really open the show with, with Theory and then you can have... Cena come back on Monday and drop the title to somebody. That is really, really, really possible, I think. But I'm j- just because I think sometimes we pick too much the same thing. We 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 
sometimes go out on the same limb. I'm going to stick with Theory. Gets the win. Because I think he's got... I, I, I think there's something he can build off of with that. So I'm going to stick with Theory. But it's really close. And I think your pick is extremely possible. I think Theory is the correct pick. You know, when we're doing this, we're not... We, we never really... T- I mean, sometimes like... If one of us clearly beats the other, we'll mention it on the post show on the uh, instant analysis, but we don't really tally how correct we are in our picks and predictions and all that type of stuff. I'm just kind of looking at it from like, all right, if I evaluate the angle and, and both sides of it, if we're talking like, you know, where we have the book and we're able to decide how this is going to play out, which makes more sense, which is more entertaining, which has a longer leash, what what helps, you know, move the product forward further. And I don't see theory retaining I mean, I don't see him beating him clean. And then if he was to cheat and retain, then he's already done that against so many other people. I don't know what else that does for him. Now, in wrestling, not everything has to make sense and not everything has to move something forward. Again, it's Cena. He's not a full-timer, right? But man, that I really think that this Raw after WrestleMania is going to be special. And Cena opening that show, you know, the new... Well, I guess theoretically Cody Rose would have to open the show, but Cody possibly and Cena both having the titles on the raw after WrestleMania going up against the college basketball national championship, which starts at like nine o'clock. So they're going to try to get this all in hour one, man, that would be a huge rating and could possibly really keep people on that show. So look, I don't know that it's going to happen, but you know, we got to go, go out on a limb sometimes here uh, when we're doing our picks and predictions. And that is a limb that I am going on. Chris, let's move to another legend in a match at WrestleMania, Rey Mysterio, who will be inducted into the 2023 WWE Hall of Fame on Friday night after SmackDown, going up against his son, Dominic Mysterio. On SmackDown, we had Rey Mysterio against LA Knight. The Mysterio family was ringside. Rey hit his sliding splash. Dominic distracted by entering while his father was on the top rope. Knight caught Rey's legs on a 619 attempt on one side. Then Dom tripped Rey when he tried the 619 the other way. That led to a surprise roll-up win for L.A. Knight. Dom again challenged and shoved his dad. Then he told his mom, who was at ringside, as I said, how Ray was a loser and a coward. He called her a deadbeat mom and screamed, shut up in her face. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. Ray came back to ringside where he just ran right up to Dom, slugged him in the face, and Ray's wife and his daughter, Aaliyah, were cheering so happy that their son and brother just got punched in the face by their father, which was incredible. And of course, the whole gimmick, the whole deal behind the entire thing is that Dom pushed him to the limit by disrespecting his mother, who's also Ray's wife. Then Ray accepted the WrestleMania challenge. Dom sold being shocked and fearful of his dad, while Ray sold being distraught that he actually went so far as to lay his hands on his son. And he had his head in his hands while he was walking up the ramp. And the booking, Chris, on this was nearly perfect, okay? Knight looked legitimate all match going toe-to-toe with Ray. Got a notable win. Ray, of course, got an excused loss. There were even dueling chants for them at one point. Yeah. And they gave us a legitimate catalyst for Ray to lose his cool. Not just disrespecting a woman, but Dom's mom and his wife. I hope most of us hold that same belief, of course, about respecting women. But anyone who has Mexican friends or family knows that shit is not going to fly in that culture. In fact, you can argue either she should have hit him or Ray should have stopped her from doing so before punching Dom himself. But I'm just talking to talk here. The one strange part about this decision was not delivering the moment in the ring where like everyone could see it. They did it in like a tight corner of the ringside barricade. That's a nitpick. 
This hit in nearly every single way that one could have expected and one could have hoped. I got to start with the LA Knight bit because you're right. I'm glad you pointed it out. He LA Knight got dueling chance with Rey Mysterio. It's amazing. Like, this guy is this guy is incredibly over. Like stick with him. Um, but yes, we kept wondering every week. Like they keep doing every week. Ray, you know, won't do anything to Dominic, and it may have felt repetitive on paper, mm-hmm. but it was building every single time. The crowd was getting more and more into it. Dominic would would bring up something else. He'd bring up the group chat. He'd bring up the Mercedes. Uh, Ray would get in his face. Ray, first, Ray was just not even acknowledging Dominic. Then he was taking some hits and not sure about it and walking away. Then he got in Dominic's face and then he walked away. And now to the point where he can't walk away anymore and he hits him. And the pop for that was insane. Mm-hmm. This is this is the third hottest storyline coming into WrestleMania. It, it by the way. Something's going to happen at the Hall of Fame. Definitely. It's got to happen Definitely. on on Friday. Uh, I, I This is going to be like, I, I, I'm fully confident this is going to be one of the like three or four matches segments that we remember from this mania for a long time. Yeah. Like not not necessarily for the amazing match, but just like it, it's, it's an iconic moment in a situation. Father versus son, the Hall of Fame, you know, years away from the, the custody for Dominic Mysterio match. Like there's like, long-term storytelling with all of this stuff. So this is awesome. I'm so excited for both of these guys, for Rey Mysterio to have this match at, at WrestleMania. Awesome moment for him and his family. Uh, and, and Dominic to have this as well, who's been absolutely just killing it as a heel. It's been so fun to watch this all come together. And I am so excited for this. Well, let me put a pin in that because you mentioned the custody of Dom and that actually plays into the storyline a little bit because on Raw, we had Ray against Damian Priest. Dom admonished Ray for hitting him, proving that he's a deadbeat and a failure of a father. He then went off about his mother again and dropped the final bar in his promo. I wish Eddie Guerrero was my real father and you never existed. And then he said he planned to claim the Mysterio name for himself. Ray hit a 619 on Priest. Dom tripped him on the frog splash. That led to a DQ, post-match beating. And then all of Legato Del Fantasma, the men, made the save with the heels running away. Now, the DQ, I thought, was the right call in the match. Neither guy really should have taken a fall or taken the loss in the spot. Dom got a significant amount of heat, and it was a really nice follow-up to SummerSlam, what we got Monday night. It was. It was. And we'd been waiting for that line, the I wish Eddie was my father. Like, Mm -hmm. you'd kind of been surprised they hadn't quite gone there yet. And so now they did. Huge, you know, huge thing from the crowd. Um you know, the, the, the match with priest, everything, it all made sense. By the way, just want to say Damian priest, uh, looking as good as he's ever looked. Absolutely. I'll say that. Yeah. You know, he, he has, all, he has flocks of female fans who follow him. I just gotta say like the beard and everything, like it's working. So shout out to him. Um, yeah, okay. this all made sense. Great stuff. Great go home segment. Unless they do something on SmackDown, really good stuff across the board. Well, the go home will probably be it. Hall of Fame. I mean, we might get something on SmackDown, but yeah. yes, that too. Yeah. yeah that Hall too. of Fame. And, and right. we don't know what that's going to be. So that's going to be really interesting. And one reason why it's going to be really curious to watch it through the end, where, of course, Ray, it looks like is going to be the main event, the, the featured party uh, of the class of 2023. Now, the lingering question here is whether Dom does an Eddie Guerrero tribute at WrestleMania. He could wear the WrestleMania 21 gear from Eddie's last match with Ray. He could enter to the music. Could even get the low rider. And I really hope 
that he does. He may do none of it, but that would add so much to this match. And fans, you mentioned it, are crazy excited for Mysterio versus Mysterio, father versus son. The heat Dom is getting is next level in some cases. Monday night was sick. And based on crowd reaction, this is what you just said. I don't know about top three, but top three or four, yeah, definitely match on the card. That's splitting hairs. I see no way, though, that this feud ends at Mania. And since Ray isn't retiring, I'm not sure it makes sense for him to put over Dom here. Now, there's probably going to be interference from Priest no matter what. The question is whether Ray overcomes it or Dom cheats to win. I'm going to pick Ray. I think everyone is probably picking Dom. Maybe you're not. We'll find out. But I'm picking Ray because if Ray wins, Dom still has the impetus for wanting revenge at Backlash. Whereas if Dom wins, it's not like Ray would say, oh, I want to fight you a second time, son, when I never really wanted to fight you the first time. Plus, if you have Dom and Priest tagging and winning, let's say at Backlash, that could send them into the tag team division as capable heel champions, which would totally work if we wind up with face champions. There's going to be more heels coming up later. I'm picking a lot of baby faces at this early juncture in the show, but I'm going with Ray in this spot. This this might be the hardest one to pick because of what you said in that this probably isn't the end. There's no reason for it to be the end. No reason. You could yeah. do this for a couple more months. You mentioned you mentioned um priest interfering. I'm waiting for Rhea Ripley interference. Possible as well. Whether this is on the same whether this is on the same night as the Charlotte match or not, or I, I don't know. That it, it could play a role, but Rhea has been such a part of the Dominic story here. Maybe Rhea slaps Ray's wife or something like that. Um, so I think I, but, but I think I'm going to pick Ray for what you said, give Ray Mysterio this moment at WrestleMania, kind of the last crowning moment of his career after the hall of fame. And then on raw or whatever, you can continue the story very easily. And, and, and Dominic gets his win back somewhere else. So I, I'm, I'm going to go with, with Ray for basically the same reasons. But really, the way to continue it is with Ray winning. If Dom wins, what reason does Ray have to win? Right. Yo, okay, you cheated to beat me. Good job, son. You're not. You can't really live up to it. And then he's like, "I want to fight you again." Ray's like, "I'm done with that because you're my son, and I don't really want to fight you." Like, you know what I mean? Like, where are you going? So I think it has to be Ray winning if it's going to continue. And I 1,000 percent believe that we are going to get some combination of like Ray Santos Escobar, Dominic, Damian Priest, Bad Bunny could get involved. Something's going to happen with all of this at Backlash. We have to remember that's coming up. And the only way, in my opinion, to get there is for Ray to win. So that is why I'm going with that uh, prediction. So let's move. We're we're staying with the legends. This is a legend-filled card here at WrestleMania 39. Becky Lynch, a soon-to-be legend, or legend in the making. Uh, Lita and Trish Stratus, two WWE Hall of Famers, against Damage Control. On Raw, the faces were all guests on Miz TV. Becky got some good verbal shots in on the Miz before explaining that she normally only fights for herself, but respected legends like Lita and Trish enough to ask for their help against Damage Control. The heels interrupted Lita when she was talking with Bailey saying, it's just another match to the legends while they three, Damage Control, have been building to this moment since SummerSlam. She said it used to be their dream to stand alongside Trish and Lita, but now it's their goal to take them out. Becky then put over Dakota Kai and Eoskai huge, but 
but she criticized them for being lackeys for Bailey and the trio for accomplishing nothing. Then she slammed the mic down and they all faced off in the ring. This was easily the best women's talking segment that we've gotten on the road to WrestleMania. And best overall, second best overall, to Charlotte Flair, Rhea Ripley, that brawl we got a couple of weeks ago. Becky was the obvious MVP speaking hard truths, both in kayfabe and reality, about Damage Control's lack of success and their booking, despite their title reign. They should have been hitting these points weeks ago. Plus, I thought it was really honorable the way that she put over Io and Dakota, but Io in particular, she called her the one of the greatest wrestlers in the world, which by the way, is accurate. This hit on every note. This wasn't just good in comparison to the other women's storylines that we're getting for this build to WrestleMania. This would have been good any year for a storyline build to WrestleMania. This really stood out to me. I'm glad they did it. And it got me way more excited for the match than I was going into Raw. Yes, this is, you're right. This is what I was hoping for weeks ago where like Becky just being like, what have you accomplished? You're, you, you two are just lackeys. Like, cut the crap. I'm just going to talk to you for real here. And I was like, oh man, like I'm finally fired up and into this. Mm-hmm. And it, it was much needed heat for this that just honestly had no heat at all coming, coming, coming in. It's really, it just, Lita, Trisha being there has been great and that's gotten cheers, but damage control is just kind of flailing. And, 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 and so to set this up finally with some edge was awesome. So absolute hats off to Becky and everybody else for the segment. And then the match, the, uh, that that followed as well. And no disrespect to Bailey because she was really good on the mic also. It's just that Becky was like superb on the mic here. Uh, so Becky fought EO yes. in a match that immediately followed. Sky rolled through a manhandle slam, hit a double stomp. Lynch came back with a superplex. EO hit a double German suplex bridge. Becky hit a Bexploder, but EO came back with a drop kick off the top rope and a springboard moonsault both outside. EO then missed her over the moonsault. They countered each other a bunch uh, with the disarm her, a pinning combination, a couple pinning combinations, actually. And finally, Becky hit the manhandle slam for the win in 10 minutes. What I loved so much about this is Becky praised EO in the first segment, then followed up by proving exactly why she praised her. That's true pro shit, and Becky is a pro. Uh, this was perhaps the best that EO has looked one-on-one since her return, since debuting on the main roster. I went 3.5 stars and a B for a really high quality TV match. If it got more time, it would have easily been 3.75, maybe even four and higher. I want to see them fight one-on-one for a title. At This could be a WrestleMania match. Becky Lynch and EO Sky. Like, that's how high quality uh, these two were together. It was an incredible opening segment. The best one-two punch of women's segments in months. And yeah, I don't know how much more I can praise it. It was great. It was, it was. Do we make our picks now? Yeah, we can do that. Uh, why don't you go ahead first? The pick is damage control. And I first made that, I first made the pick during Becky's promo. And I was like, oh <laughs> right. shit, she's just, I was like, oh shit, she's just running them down like really, really hard. It, it feels like this is when damage control, that's the motivation damage control comes back from that and gets the win. So I'm picking damage control and then Becky wins the match. And I was like, okay, I'm further picking damage control. Uh, for, for, for that to happen. The tag titles being involved in this has always just been kind of weird. I don't know what, what happens coming out of that, but just uh, two legends with Becky versus a set of three active wrestlers. Damage control gets a much, much needed win. So this seemed like an easy prediction going into Raw. The biggest names on the biggest show, the legends, the baby faces, the champions. 
But the go home segment, like you said, it put some legitimate doubt into my assumption that the faces would come out on top. The way Bailey was speaking, setting this up as potentially a great put over moment for their group and damage control, like you said, badly needs it because their overall booking since SummerSlam has been rough. I like them as a group. Other people don't like them as a group. I do. I just agree that their booking could have been better. If the heels do lose, then Dakota Kai and Io have no choice but to turn on Bailey because Becky will have been proven correct. So it needs to be one of those two outcomes. Either the faces win and damage control splits up or damage control wins. I was actually ready to do what you did and go with the heels. But the only way that this aligns with my women's showcase booking of Rousey and Baszler winning that match and challenging for the titles and them all fighting on night two, the only way that works is if the faces win. Plus, Lita has to drop this title as soon as possible. And she's not back full time from what I understand. So unless they're going to run a triple threat where it's damage control, Becky Lynch and Lita and Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler, and then Rousey or Baszler pin or submit Dakota, for example. And that's how they lose the title without Becky or Lita getting pinned or submitted. The heels get the championships and the whole thing kind of works out at the end, unless they're going to do that. And I don't think that they're going to go with the triple threat. Therefore, I'm back where I started picking Becky, Lita, and Trish, getting the win. But I want to be wrong about this, maybe more than anything on the entire show. I would love it if Damage Control coming out of what happened Monday night and that promo beat three legends in this match and use that as a platform to to fly. But Because to this point, as you've said, as I've said previously, they're kind of dead in the water as a group. Right. And, and, and so th- this, this is your best opportunity to fix it. Maybe it your last opportunity to fix it. Well, that's the but thing. You're right. But that's why the, ta- that's why the tag titles being involved in this is so, so awkward. Th- but that, right. that's what, that's what they, I was getting you, to. You either have to fix it yeah. now, or if not, then either at the show or on a Monday night, you have to break them up. Those are your two options. Yes. Okay. Let's move to what has quickly become, Chris, one of the matches I am most excited for on this show, Brood Edge against the Demon Finn Balor inside Hell in a Cell. And if you weren't positive that it was going to be Brood and Demon, well, let me tell you something. The last two weeks definitely nailed that home. On Raw, Balor emerged from the shadows, cutting a promo, pre-tape promo, admitting Edge has a familiarity with the Cell, but there's nothing more dangerous than a caged demon. He talked about Edge going to a dark place and lighting his candles, referencing the brood, saying he doesn't summon his demons. Balor's demons are always inside him. Then we got some flashes with some camera work of the demon makeup on his face. And then the match card was officially shown. And it was Edge looking regular with the demon Finn Balor going against him, confirming he will be in the gimmick for the match. Two weeks, two solo home runs from these guys with both go-home promos giving additional reasoning for their gimmicks changing for the match and for their feud intensity bumping up to that next level. Really strong stuff from Balor on Monday. The demon gimmick is one of the things that drew me into the original NXT, and I could not be more thrilled that it's back with a huge chance for rehabilitation. Yes. Um... Both good promos from both those guys. I was not really at all excited for this a number of weeks ago when we knew that's where we were headed. But Edge, 
his greatest skill really is, I think, the solo promo, and he mm-hmm. nailed it there. We see the demon coming out. Demon has never lost in WWE. I think only lost once to Samoa Joe. He lost to Roman Reigns. Demon never lost. He lost to Roman Reigns, dude. Oh, he lose to Roman Reigns. You're right. That's you the rehabilitation. Right. So, the, yeah, go ahead. Thanks to the uh, top rope of doom. Yes. So it, it, it sets it up. Hell in a Cell at, at WrestleMania is tough because of the cell, but you've got big video boards that will help people see that. Well, let me first deliver to everyone some fantastic news. And this is an example of something that we would put on our Getting Over Extra, um, which you, of course, can find in our Twitter bio at Getting Overcast, but I'm giving it to you here. Um, there is no red Hell in a Cell. It's gone. It's going to be black or silver. Ooh. It's going to be a regular color. Uh, so we don't have to worry about that eyesore anymore when we're watching this match. One other fun fact. Um, this isn't news, but this is something I figured out. For a gimmick, that is the demon. Okay? This is the first time Balor is actually going to use it as a pure heel. And anyone who has ever seen these entrances before, Brood, of course, but the demon entrances in particular, knows that there is prob- probably no singular entrance that I am looking forward to more as long as it happens in the darkness, which of course we discussed earlier in the show. Now, in terms of predicting this match, you can make a case for each guy winning, but since the moment it became clear that this feud would end at WrestleMania, and especially now that they're adding Brood and Demon elements, Balor for me has been the only option. Beating Edge would reestablish the Demon and rehabilitate the Demon that was basically killed by that booking with Roman Reigns in the top rope at Extreme Rules. It would also boost Balor back into the legitimate main event scene where he badly needs to be and hasn't truly been in a believable way since 2016 when he won the Universal title. Taking down Edge inside Hell in a Cell, a structure he knows, something that Triple H understands the importance of, both the stipulation and the possibilities of what comes when someone wins a Hell in a Cell feud, blood feud match like this. Look, Edge, he won the tag match with his wife. Finn Balor absolutely must win this match. There's probably four matches on the card where I believe there's no other way to go about booking the finish than a certain person winning. This is one of them. It absolutely has to be Balor. Finn Balor is absolutely winning this match without a doubt. I WWE put out a video a couple days ago, the top 30 entrances in WrestleMania history. And one of them on the list was Edge's Judgment Day entrance from last year. Mm. And I watched it and I was like, I do not remember this at all. <laughs> that, that, that match with AJ Styles, uh, the Damian Priest coming out at the end. I just, I don't, I was there and I just, I have no memory of it. So it was weird seeing Edge come out with the Judgment Day theme. I totally like, I've almost forgotten that he was the one who started this whole thing, but it's coming back around a year later. Judgment Day post Edge has been fantastic. And so Finn Balor with the Demon gets the win to, to me without a doubt. And Edge can finally move on to do some other things. Hopefully that don't take three or four months at a time, but that'll be good. As for the match, I'm my expectations for this match are very low. Edge singles matches, even especially at Mania recently, have left a lot to be desired. The Randy Orton one that took forever. 
the triple threat was good, but that was triple threat. And then last year's with AJ Styles was totally boring. So I'm I'm keeping my expectations very low, so I can possibly be surprised. But the entrances are going to be fantastic. I really hope it is indeed Brood Edge with, with, with the fire and all that stuff. One of the best entrances of all time. Th- these two entrances are going to be iconic, I think, both of them. Yeah. The match, we'll see. But Finn Balor's going to win. I just don't know how you think a match with Finn Balor and Edge is going to be not incredible. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be a five-star classic, but Hell in a Cell, those two guys, their ability, Balor, what he can do jumping off stuff. I mean, you know, the storytelling, the work rate. I, like, how could it not be great? We we said the same thing about Edge and AJ last year, and it sucked. And yeah. and so, like, it's... Finn, Finn's going to be great. I, I worry also hell in a cell that this becomes like a 30 minute match or something like that. Don't drag it out. But I, I worry that they'll get into that WWE style where it's very slow for a very long period of time with a good finish. Okay. Um, we'll see again. I'm, I'm keeping expectations. Low. Well, look, edge is older, man. Some of these guys, there's only so much they can do. Right. So perhaps you're right. Maybe it won't yeah. be an absolute banger, but my expectations are high, at least for the pageantry and for Bauer ultimately getting yes. the win. Th- th- those two things I'm very excited about. Yes. Uh, Seth Rollins uh, against Logan Paul is our next match. As noted, that's going to happen night one, which is Logan Paul's birthday. On Raw, Rollins backstage was ready to talk shit when Mustafa Ali interrupted, trying to inject some positive Ali into him because now more people know his name and want to see Logan knock him out again. That, of course, led to Rollins calling back to all of Ali's challenges when he was United States champion. And he said, hey, you've been challenging me all this time. Let's actually have a match. So we got Rollins and Ali. The crowd was super loud singing Seth's theme. Rollins hung Ali in the tree of woe and did a stomp frontward, uh, which an incredible self by Mustafa. It was awesome. And then he added a regular stomp to get the emphatic win. After the bell, Rollins said if he doesn't beat Logan at WrestleMania, Paul wouldn't be the joke. Rollins would be. I was iffy about who would win this match going into the segment. I'll explain that in a minute. But Rollins either laid out the decision here or provided a great swerve with that promo. I also enjoyed everything we got with Rollins and Ali, even though, of course, I wish the match was a little bit longer. Yeah, shout out to Ali. I was completely entertained and behind everything he was doing in this whole segment. I like the look he had. Like, there's something there. I like it. Rollins saying, if I lose... I'm a joke. That tells me that he's winning because he's the baby face and he's the serious. He, he, he's one of the best wrestlers in the company. And I, it doesn't feel like they'll put him in that situation. Also, he's gotten knocked out by Logan Paul several times. He never, he never got the come up on Logan yet. So that's mm-hmm. hasn't happened. Um, but the way Rollins said that basically like, I have to win this match when a baby face does that they usually win so my my pick is Rollins right that's kind of what I was saying it was either an indication of what's happening in this match or a fantastic swerve making us think that we know what's going to happen in the match and like with Omos and Brock Logan has clowned Seth this entire feud he eliminated him from the Royal Rumble cost him the United States Championship at Elimination Chamber, and has twice, as you said, knocked him out cold on live television. In every way, that indicates that Rollins wins this match. Except WWE is holding backlash in Puerto Rico, where Logan lives 
in a $13 million house purely for tax break reasons. The people there, I know that. the people there hate him and see him as a colonizer. <laughs> He's also yeah. feuded in the media for real, not like WWE feud, but for real with the guy Puerto Ricans love bad bunny who just so happens to be hosting WrestleMania, uh, hosting backlash in Puerto Rico. And of course, previously wrestled at WrestleMania and Logan accused him of exploiting Puerto Rico. Now the idea of Logan wrestling where he may be hated most in the world and getting beaten there by Rollins, one of the most over baby faces on the entire roster. That is freaking juicy. And Mm. that might be the move. The problem is I think most fans are unaware of that as you were. And I doubt WWE wants to wade into like a somewhat TMZ political type of situation. And I doubt Logan wants to get into that situation in the public sphere. I mean, the idea of like Mm. Rollins against Logan Paul, Jake interferes, Bad Bunny comes out and helps Rollins and Rollins wins. Like that is a hot idea in Puerto Rico if you know all of this stuff that's in the background. But again, I don't know how many people do and I don't know if they're going to put that on television. So while I do see an angle to go with Logan getting an upset win, maybe his brother even helps him do it and that leads to the match. I'm going to stick with the obvious and I agree with you and I will pick Seth Rollins here. But I hope that I open some eyes and ears to at least the possibility of it going another way. God, that's incredible. I'd be more excited for that than almost anything else. <laughs> you, you do Seth and you do Seth and Bad Bunny versus Logan Paul and Jake Paul in a tag match in Puerto Rico. And you like everybody who's like followed wrestling history. You hear the stories of Puerto Rico. Yeah. And back in the day and people being stabbed and all this stuff like you absolutely do not want that to happen. <laughs> but it would be it. But it would be incredible heat, like yeah. unreal levels of heat for a match. And they probably don't want to touch that stove, especially with the possible sale of the company. But you laying that all out, just, man, that would be something. It'd be pretty crazy if they actually did it. I don't know that they will. Rollins is the safe pick. And we do, you know, like I said, we're not trying to nail all the picks, right? We're just trying to give you our analysis and thoughts. But you know, you still want to be right. And I do want to be right. So I went ahead and picked Rollins there. Uh, Intercontinental Championship. Gunther against Drew McIntyre and Sheamus in a triple threat match on SmackDown. We got a contract signing. Sheamus repeated that he was angry at McIntyre for what he saw as a backstab move. Drew called him sensitive, unable to separate personal and business. McIntyre said he's beaten Sheamus and he knows he can beat Gunther, while Sheamus cannot and he's proven he can't twice. They then signed the contract before Gunther demanded Pierce to justify his triple threat decision. And Pierce didn't say anything. And then Gunther just turned around and signed the contract anyway, saying whatever he does to retain his title will be justified. Butch then attacked Gunther, but Gunther was like insulting everyone in the ring. He got the Butch and he didn't pay him any mind. So So Butch then just attacked him. And he nearly, Gunther did, flipped the freaking table into the crowd. He threw it out of the ring, nearly hit that green shirt guy in the head. 
and he just demanded a match immediately. So we got Gunther against Butch in a non-title match. Gunther hit a full-release German suplex. Then he choked Butch with his foot on the top rope. Gunther avoided Butch, who accidentally flew into McIntyre off the announce table. That led Drew and Sheamus to battle outside as Gunther caught a distracted Butch with a lariat and last symphony for the win. After the bell, it was only Gunther and Sheamus who stood off in the ring before McIntyre came in and caught Gunther blind with a claymore as he stood off with Sheamus to end the segment. So first, the match. It wasn't their spectacular 2019 NXT UK title match. That was incredible, nearly five stars. But it was a pretty damn good TV match. Very entertaining, good wrestling. The segment booking, though, I thought left a lot to be desired. It wasn't poor, but Gunther demanding an explanation, not getting one and signing anyway, to me was totally nonsensical. And there were some moments where the crowd popped, but they sounded silent for most of the post-match. Now, this is gonna deliver big in the ring at WrestleMania. And ultimately, the storyline is fine, I just wish it was a little bit more interesting. There's a couple of stories where it's like we we booked it so far ahead of time and thought there was a great story behind it and we got it. But then they never told us the story. The story here is that Sheamus has never won the Intercontinental title. And they had the match uh, in Cardiff last year and we just we never got that story. <laughs> like we're, we're doing the kind con- like we, we spent a couple weeks on picking Drew or Sheamus and then doing both. And then it's here and we never got the actual story behind it. So that's frustrating. I did like Gunther's promo just in general, him showing an edge and anger that we haven't really seen uh, from him much. It just kind of added some intensity to it. And I will add that I think the, the current intercontinental title belt does look pretty good on him. It's maybe the only time it's ever looked good. But I just was like, man, imagine if this was like the old Intercontinental title, how just how great it would look on him and everything. So I'm excited for this. It could be the match of the night. But we've got just a SmackDown left, and they haven't told us the story we expected to get. It, it, the story is almost Sheamus versus Drew. Right. And not Gunther. So... That's been a bit disappointing because I think we're all we're, they told the story back in the summer. Sheamus had never like the Sheamus had never wanted like it was great stuff. And then they just never told it here. And so I was like, well, I don't know if that impacts my my pick or not. So I completely agree with you on all those points and it will impact my pick. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, uh, but I do have a couple more things before we actually get to the pick and prediction for this match. OK, so first on Raw. Uh, Gunther fought Dolph Ziggler in a non-title match. Ziggler had a famous air. Gunther chopped his ass in midair, had a German suplex powerbomb and Last Symphony for the dominant win. There's something about this finisher, the Last Symphony. It doesn't seem to be hitting. Like, it's not really impactful the way his powerbomb is. And I really start to wonder if they should go back. And and, I mean, initially I was happy that they did it. But when I say did it, gave him a defined finisher, which he didn't really have before. He did the powerbomb. He would do a splash, lariat, chop. He would win in a variety of ways. In some respects now, I don't like that they did it, even though I understood why they did it, just because the move isn't as powerful and as impactful as his powerbomb by immediate comparison. And the crowd doesn't seem to understand as much that it's his finisher, which is a little bit weird because he has been using it recently. Uh, I thought this was fine as a showcase match, and I know it's a go-home show. It just feels like Ziggler shouldn't be getting beaten this easily 
by anyone, including Gunther. It's happened to Gunther and Omos now. It's Ziggler. This guy's a former world champion. He's talented. Like, I'm okay with using him in this spot, but five, six minutes. I mean, two minutes is a fucking joke. Yeah, you're not wrong, but mostly just because I don't like two-minute matches anyway. I don't think it helps anybody So to, to that point. But Ziggler, is, he's nothing right now, and maybe they'll figure out something, but it's just it is what it is. And then lastly here, I just wanted to point this out. So last year, one year ago at this time, Ricochet defended the Intercontinental title on the go-home SmackDown in a triple threat match with Umberto Carrillo and Angel Garza in a completely convoluted storyline where you may remember, Chris, he lost three matches in 12 combined minutes going into that. At the time, the Intercontinental title had not been defended on a pay-per-view since the prior year, WrestleMania 37. And it wasn't defended on a pay-per-view at all for 571 days. This year, Gunther is going to defend the title at WrestleMania with a title reign by that point that will be 295 days, the longest since 1987, in a match that, as we've pointed out, may steal the show from an in-ring perspective at a, at a minimum. And it could open either night, or I guess night two, technically, or be a mid-show main event. That's the caliber of match that we're going to get here. And let's not have it lost on anyone what this match is about. (laughs) Big meaty man slapping me. (laughs) So we can be critical all we want about the women's booking, and we're about to discuss that plenty. But what Triple H has accomplished in reviving the Intercontinental Championship in particular, also the United States title, You know, we talked about it on the show previously, but coming into this match, it deserves a ton of praise. Completely. With Gunther and everything they've done, they have elevated the value of the Intercontinental title. I still think there is a ceiling on that because of the look of the title. (laughs) It it still looks ridiculous. It doesn't look like anything important. You can't even see it. You can barely read it. It's Mm -hmm. it doesn't help. But they have absolutely made it a priority for this and the U.S. title, too, to mean something. As soon as Triple H took over, like they they made the vignettes about him, like they were like, these titles matter. And so coming into this match, we're all excited for it because we know the Intercontinental title matters. And it matters that these three guys are going for it. Undoubtedly. Now, what piques my interest here, and by the way, they need to make sure they reinforce the ring posts for this match. <laughs> Reinforce the ring post. The beef's going to be flying tonight, gentlemen. Straight up, there's going to be a lot of beef out there. There's a lot of beef out here. But what really piques my interest here is Money in the Bank is three months away in London. And with Gunther being European, he's from Austria, and Seamus, of course, being Irish, it just seems like WWE might want to change the Intercontinental title at that show. A triple threat gives Gunther an excuse for losing the title without being pinned. And that could vault him into the main event scene where let's say Cody Rhodes wins the titles and he defends them separately. Perhaps he could win one of those world titles at that show. It also though, it being a triple threat, gives Sheamus an excuse for losing without Gunther pinning him, allowing a third match between them to possibly take place. Both could also be accomplished with McIntyre pinning Sheamus. Gunther would potentially go on to Cody. Sheamus would then face Drew for the title at Money in the Bank, all without Gunther taking an L. 
That makes this singularly the toughest match to call on the entire WrestleMania card as far as I'm concerned. Ultimately, the Sheamus Intercontinental title win should be a massive, boisterous, babyface moment. And instead, as you mentioned, they've stopped talking about it for the most part, being the one title he hasn't won and his motivation to go after it and all that. He is talking about it, but more in the context of Drew screwing him out of the one-on-one opportunity rather than this is my goal, it's a dream, I can't wait to accomplish it, which was the storyline going into Clash at the Castle and their subsequent rematch. So they now have him, instead of being a pure babyface, they have him as a tweener in this feud. McIntyre taking the Intercontinental title would help elevate him, but then they'd have to stretch the Sheamus feud three months just to make money in the bank, and Sheamus would still be the heel side in that. So I do think that we're headed for Cody Gunther, but maybe it's a little bit further in the future than I think with so many title changes and so many babyface wins predicted across this show. I think this match might be used as the crowning moment for Gunther to say, this is the guy, this is the final boss heel that we're rolling with. Roman's gonna be doing his other thing. Gunther's next. I have him retaining the title by pinning McIntyre after Drew takes multiple finishers and Sheamus gets thrown out of the ring. Gunther wins and retains. Interesting. I, I, I certainly like that option. And the the other option was I'd been thinking about this, and, and we made some like for the athletic, we like made some predictions. So like who could turn heel at WrestleMania? And my first thought was Drew McIntyre, who Mm. he's such a main, he's such a main eventer that when he's not in the world title picture, it feels like he's just lost and wandering and a heel turn for drew would instantly regenerate his character to do so many different things and just re-energize him. And he can do a lot and he could certainly continue to take the intercontinental division or title picture a step forward. And you have Seamus do the the big Seamus wins the Intercontinental belt for the first time over Drew in London. That's a natural yep. like way to do it. Like it makes all the sense over a heel Drew. I think that'd be a great way to do it. You just got to stretch it for three but months if you do re- that. That's the problem. Right. We've reached this weird spot where we're at WrestleMania now and you and I are talking about what are ways to extend the story. <laughs> When WrestleMania is supposed to be the place where we finish the story. Well, no, it's it's, the t-shirt, the Cody. It's not about it's not about extending the story. It's about what's next. What's the next chapter? And when you have a title retention in a triple threat match, it's natural for one of those people to still want to go after the title after the fact. Right, but also like we expect the big climactic moments to happen at Mania. Sometimes. I'm saying, hey, what if Seamus what if Seamus gets it in London well, in a couple months? Don't forget. I don't know. Don't Maybe forget. You don't forget. I... You can't end every single story at WrestleMania. Like there has to be no. some carryover. Now, I think where WWE has failed in the past, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's a point mm-hmm. worth talking about here. Where WWE's failed in the past is an over-reliance on not using WrestleMania as the final nail in the coffin for X, Y, or Z storyline and letting them all continue and doing WrestleMania backlash and, you know, some of them still going pet to SummerSlam and even beyond that right. here, I think a lot of the storylines will end, but there are going to be a couple 
uh, the Mysterio storyline is a really good example. Perhaps the women's tag team title situation storyline with them, that could continue. And this one, where I do think that they can stretch past this. Yeah. I had been thinking Sheamus the entire time mm-hmm. throughout, like the whole, whole build. Sheamus wins are going to have well, that's what to do. But like I said, they haven't told that story. So I'm going to go with Drew. I'm going to pick Drew here. So neither of us picking who we thought we were going to pick. Yeah, you're right. Both of us were fully in the camp of Sheamus winning the title. But let's not forget, this ultimate preview is being taped on Tuesday after Raw. We still have the go-home SmackDown on Friday night. And folks, as of right now, just a little heads up for everyone, we plan, as long as people actually do support us and join us as getting overheads on our new platform again in our Twitter bio, we do plan to do an exclusive go-home WrestleMania, you know, quick five to 15-minute show or something on that platform as a bonus audio for this week. Of course, we're going to also have a last chance to give our picks and predictions on both live Twitter spaces shows Saturday and Sunday night ahead of WrestleMania. So while these are, and we like them to be, our final predictions, Chris, there is the chance that something happens on the go-home show where they start telling Sheamus' story again that way, and they do a video package about how badly he wants the IC title, and he gets emotional about it, where all of a sudden we say, okay, now Sheamus is clearly going to win the title. We're doing the best we can four days out. Yes. Key point there, because they've done this the last... You know, they get the Bianca got the the video package on Monday. Like they mm-hmm. are throwing some of these together. They are at the last second the Becky promo telling you the story. So it could change. Yeah, it could. So again, there's opportunities for us to kind of go over all that. We'll talk about that a little bit more at the end of the show. Let's move on to the four huge title matches that we have yet to cover. We'll start with the women, the Raw Women's Championship, Bianca Belair against Asuka. There was finally a pre-taped package for Asuka on Raw with a ton of people putting her over, including Kevin Owens, Lita, and Molly Holly, all while NXT and WWE footage aired, along with a listing of her accolades. I had actually written a note before Raw that WWE had seriously lacked pre-tapes on this entire Mania build, and this match was the perfect opportunity to use one. And then boom, Monday night, that's exactly what they did. Belair got her own later in the show. It wasn't as long or as detailed as the one on Asuka. She's also accomplished less than Asuka has for the most part. Now, was this all a little bit too little too late in terms of building for the match? Absolutely. But was it better to do it than not to do it? Absolutely. So I liked what we got Monday night. It did increase, I think, the chances of me picking Asuka a little bit more than they were. But I don't know that that's the direction I'm going to go. I agree. Very good video promos. These are the kinds of things like I know it takes time to do them and everything. And, and but if you had done these like a couple weeks out from the rumble, like when the matches were set, as like the table setter to get people excited. And then you move like it could have played out, I think, a lot differently. Instead, we just got weeks of Oscar spitting up goo and Bianca being like, what was going on? And, and like they were it. selling it as they were selling it as like psychology, but there, nothing ever happened where like she stalked yeah. her backstage or Belair got the jitters and was nervous to get you know, like there was never selling right. of that. It was just, oh, she's messing with her psychologically. But Belair looked at her like you're spitting blue shit out of your mouth. And yeah, it's weird. But what else? You know? Yes. Yeah. And again, and people want to cheer Asuka. They do. And so they've just 
it's it's been a very difficult heel face dynamic. So very good video packages. Glad we got them. Asuka should win this match. She returned with a new, somewhat exciting character. She's winless at WrestleMania, never getting her moment. Triple H made her the most dominant women's champion in NXT history. But I'm leaning towards Bianca retaining. Uh, this could be the start of mm. a feud rather than the end, such as with AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura a couple years ago. Now, that never resulted in a title change, and we were very frustrated that it was all based on low blows. But they could rematch at a backlash with Asuka winning. Could do it at Money in the Bank. There's other opportunities for this to happen. There's something else to consider. Just because Asuka adjusted her character doesn't mean she's automatically being pushed really hard. Let's not forget, like, there's been numerous times where this has happened. Jack Swagger returned with the We the People bullshit, and it was like, wow, they are really pumping this guy up for WrestleMania, yet he still lost to Alberto Del Rio on the big show. This is the third of three matches. I said there were three matches on this card that were legitimate toss-ups to me. This was a legitimate toss-up. When it was booked, I was gung-ho 1,000% sure that Asuka not only needed to win the title, but would win the title. Belair's reign has been weak, and even worse, it's been boring. The division badly, badly needs a reset. Asuka deserves her WrestleMania moment. But as this event gets closer and closer, and the build is lackluster and lackluster, they've given us no reason to see a change as a big deal. Like, they did help reestablish Asuka in that video package as, look how accomplished she is. And if Belair loses to her, it's understandable. They did do that. And maybe that video package is an indication that Asuka's gonna win the title. It's very possible. But to me, changing the title with zero good reason for it from a build perspective, like from a kayfabe storyline perspective, it's gonna come across as hollow to me. So I'm leaning towards Belair retaining Let's not forget we have a potential heel winning in the other women's match. I would never book it that way. I would have booked the storyline a lot better, and I would absolutely, every time, book Asuka to beat Bianca Belair. I just don't think they're going to do it. There is one scenario where I would be cool with Bianca Belair winning, and that is a heel turn for her. Her character is in such a strange spot where she's so dominant in such a big like ambassador to the company great type of role she's she's already the john cena of the women's division like like charlotte's a heel it's it's a bit different bianca is the john cena so do they have do do they just is this as far as bianca's character goes because without a heel run there's there there's nothing left the bianca story has been told so is she just gonna be twirl the hair, smile, lift people up and win all the time. Like, I don't, I don't think that's good. So if Bianca turns heel in this match and does some stuff clearly to indicate heel and wins, then I'll be okay with that. But otherwise, Asuka has to win this match and I'm picking her because like you just said, she's never won at WrestleMania. She is one of the most accomplished women's wrestlers of all time. Mm -hmm. Hall of Famer. She doesn't have a WrestleMania moment. A, a quick plug here. I talked to Charlotte Flair for a, a Q&A that went on, on, ran on Monday in The Athletic. And I asked Charlotte, I said, what is the, what's your favorite moment of your career? She said it was the WrestleMania 34 win over Asuka. Yeah, it was a good match. Beating her streak. Great match. Ended Asuka's uh, undefeated streak. Unfortunately. But yeah. And that was, a <laughs> that, was a, that was a surprise to everybody at the time. 
And Asuka's done a million things. Uh, and this this is Triple H's opportunity to kind of, you know, put Asuka on that pedestal again and, and win, win the title at WrestleMania uh, and, and have this moment. So I, I the, the, the video package was maybe be a last-ditch effort to try to tell that, but I think ultimately we just get a banger of a match. Asuka wins, and everybody likes Asuka, and they cheer for her. I want it so bad, man. I want Asuka to win. Like, I, I can't stress that enough. But again, they, they haven't told us that that's happening. Like, they haven't given us a reason to believe or think or hope or or where it would make sense in a storyline. Now, what you said, a double turn, that makes it happen. And I think what people don't know, because I would assume most people didn't watch NXT, Bianca Belair was a heel in NXT. And she was way, way more interesting as a heel EST than a babyface EST. So I would love it if they did a double turn that explained the reasoning or they did a double turn and Belair retained and then Asuka as a babyface wins it at Backlash. That would make a lot of sense too. Tons of ways they can go. Again, all the energy, you know, the prayer circle is Asuka winning here, okay? I think it's better for her, of course. She gets a great moment and respected for the great wrestler that she is on the biggest stage where she hasn't won. I think it would be massively helpful for, for Belair. Get the title off of her, allow her to do something different. You know, the rain just has not been good. But I can't predict it because I, I don't think it's going to happen as much as I want it to. All right, let's move. Let's move to the other women's championship match, the SmackDown women's title, Charlotte Flair against Rhea Ripley. On SmackDown, Charlotte cut a promo saying, saying her success is not due to fear, insecurity, or nepotism like everyone believes. And she's meandering on about insecurity and fans just started wetting the shit out of her. So she kind of goes heel and puts over herself and her father. This, Chris, was just awful. From the promo concept to whoever scripted it to Flair's execution of it, to everything. Who the fuck thought this promo topic was a good idea? It didn't even make sense, particularly for someone in Charlotte who already lacks believability. Charlotte remains one of the worst baby faces I can ever remember in WWE history. And she's not even a good tweener. I don't want to keep ranting because it's going to come off as like insulting. This was straight up terrible. How the hell could Charlotte Flair even go out there with a straight face as a baby face and say nothing about her career is nepotism. This was a legit zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. I asked Charlotte about being a baby face and she said it was cool that like kids wanted to hug her and stuff. But she also came around to say, uh, cheer me or boo me or woo me or whatever. I'm still Charlotte Flair. And I was like, <laughs> that was a that was like a really I was like, you're just such a natural heel. So here. natural. Like, heel. It never made it. Never, she's so good as a heel. Really, really good. It just never made sense to make her the baby face against Rhea, who was largely getting cheered from people. And like Charlotte as the champion, as the dominant champion and facing somebody she already beat, there's no way you can spin that into being a, a face thing. Like, I already beat you. You're not at my level. Like, there's no way you can make that into a baby face. So, like, 
in fairness to Charlotte, the way it was booked, there's no way to come off. Oh, bullshit. No, that's, that's not true. That's not true. You you think, hey, I beat you a couple years ago. I beat you again. Like, I the only one I can You can be a to, confident. Rock scene or two. Listen, you can be a confident baby facing. Look, I already beat you. I've proven I can beat you. And you want another opportunity at me? Great. I'm happy to do it. But you know where you stand in the hierarchy here in WWE. You don't need to have that person come out and cut a promo about insecurity, nepotism, and fear, right. and how I'm the greatest, and I'm putting myself over, and my dad. And then, again, it, it was just the content of the promo was horrific. Her delivery of it, it was. was horrific. And then Charlotte Flair, a veteran, getting put off her pedestal or knocked off her, her I'm, I'm mixing metaphors here, um, off her game, knocked off her game, because the crowd is wanting her when every promo that she has ever cut includes all of those pauses, you know you're going to get what? You've been whatted your entire career. It was a bad promo, bad delivery and execution. She was thrown off her game, and nothing about it was believable. It was just, it was awful. Remember when she remember when she came back, Money in the Bank 2021, the one I was at, which I forgot who she fought, but she flipped off the crowd. Yeah, I do. And everybody got every she like did that for like a couple of weeks or months. She did the DX chop, really didn't she? Got into it. She did the crotch yeah. chop. Yeah. Something like that too. Yeah. And it was like, oh man, like she's really good at the heel stuff. She gets out of the what stuff a lot better than most, but she gets out of it by being a heel right. for the crowd because that's what you do. <laughs> So like that's why just the dynamic of this never made sense. It was awful. And then on Raw, Ripley backstage said she's sick of being reminded about Flair's legacy because that legacy won't define her destiny. Rhea said she must defeat her, prove she's the best, and become the biggest star in the industry. It was a fine promo, but legacy versus destiny for me is a boring tagline for a match that should have been completely built around revenge. It was there. It's why she chose her. And they just gave up on that. Like, my hope was we'd get another explosive moment after that brawl. And maybe we will on the go home SmackDown again. We're taping this on Tuesday, but instead we got a horrendous promo from Charlotte and something from Rhea that was like just good enough to be okay. The way you do this is Rhea like sneak attacking Charlotte multiple times over the past few weeks and months and just dominating her at every turn. Yes. Showing Rhea's dominance. Charlotte can get an upper hand once, you know, once in a while here, but like, that's how you make Charlotte a baby face. That's mm-hmm. how you, you add some edge to it. Some uh, have Rhea Ripley be a heel. Nothing Rhea has done in this has been a heel move, like literally nothing. And so I, you know, I had wondered, they had Rhea cut this backstage at the time it was happening. I wondered, Oh, you know, the, the single in the crowd solo promo last week, we didn't love it. Maybe they're pulling back on that. Maybe they're pulling back on how much they believe in Rhea, but they did several backstage they promos did. Yeah. on that episode of Raw. So I eventually was like, nah, it's it's probably it's probably nothing. Yeah, and look, once the brawl went down last week, like my hopes for this were raised exponentially. And instead of continuing to deliver on that high level, we got right back to weak promos saying a whole bunch of nothing. So let me put it this way, Chris, and we'll wrap it up and we'll move on. Flair retaining the title would be a catastrophic decision. Simple as that. Ripley has been built so strong within Judgment Day, taking down men consistently. It has clearly all been leading to this moment. You want to talk about all the difficult choices on this card and and whatever? This is one of the easiest. It's perhaps 1B 
to the main event in terms of choices of what have to happen here. There is no other choice but Ripley winning the title and hopefully doing so squeaky effing clean over Charlotte. Yes, it became evident as soon as this was the direction you realize, oh, Charlotte won the title over Ronda just for the purpose of Rhea getting her revenge at WrestleMania. It was which that. Which is a fine story. Well, well, it was that. It was also Ronda reportedly wanted to do the tag team thing with Shayna. So she wanted to drop the title. Charlotte was coming back. They were able to kind of put it all together and do it. I don't know that this was the plan. I don't think it was actually. Okay, well, it it, it, it at least worked out that way. Where it did. It was like, oh, Charlotte yeah. becomes your champ. Rhea, revenge, make up for a couple years ago. There's your big moment. Because Rhea, remember, did win the title at WrestleMania a couple of years ago. But that was, uh, she beat Asuka for the belt. I think it was, and, and Charlotte got pulled out of the match because of COVID or something like that. Something changed. So, and then Rhea's reign was not great. You know, and we're back here. Very bad reign. Rhea yeah. has been on Rhea has been on such a tear with this character in the Judgment Day that this is this is the new year of the top dog type of moment. You get the revenge over Charlotte. It's got to be clean. I I agree with you, and you move forward from there, and we move past this. It's been a very very frustrating several months in the women's division. This I think more than anything else. Um, but we're finally at the end of it. I think we are. And we're at the end of those two women's matches, which brings us to the double main event and our expected night one and night two main events for WrestleMania. So let's get to the undisputed WWE Tag Team Championship match. The Usos defending against Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. On SmackDown, we had the KO show with Sami Zayn. KO started by Kayfabe breaking the fourth wall, talking about them entering separately so Sami could get a solo pop. Zayn was hyped about becoming undisputed champions, saying how Mania this year just feels special. Then Owens unveiled his new KO Mania shirt, telling Sammy that it was actually just the back of the shirt because Zayn was the MVP of WWE for the last year. The crowd chanted MVP as KO revealed the front of the shirt, which said WrestleZania. Sammy went for another hug, but Kevin first declined before giving him a really big one. Of course, the Usos immediately attacked from behind with stereo super kicks to Owens and a 1D to Sammy. The odd part about this segment, and I don't know if you picked up on this the same way I did, was KO sounded almost jealous of Sammy numerous times to the point where I actually questioned whether he was setting up a betrayal either at or after WrestleMania. Yeah. <laughs> the genuine yeah. unveiling of the shirt and how happy they both were, that calmed that feeling a little bit. But I couldn't shake it, and I can't imagine it was purposeful because that would just be, like, I don't even have words for it. it. It's almost as if this was, like, a bizarro festival of friendship, if that makes sense, where they wanted us to think, oh, he's going to turn just like, you know, with Chris Jericho, except the shirt actually says that, and they hugged, and everything was okay. It completely threw me off, and I'm not sure whether it was intentional, bad acting, KO ribbing Sammy and it coming across as mean instead of just an inside joke between them or something else. But this segment was way, way, way more tense than it had any right to be whatsoever. It was done well overall, and that shirt is going to sell out. It is a great design. I thought they'd go KO Zania, but this was a cool yeah. way. To, this was a cool way to get two designs on one shirt, and it's cool to have a front and back with both of them. That's really my takeaway. 
This peaked last week, and now they're just building to the show. But again, this was way more tense than it had any right to be. You know what this you know what this 100% was? It was a couple that took a break and decided to get back together. And they kind of get right back into the little fights that they were having here and there. And you realize, oh, things are not fully 100%. I think that's what they were saying. They were saying KO and Sammy hugged it out there together, but like not everything is clear. Like they still need to work through things. It's not instantly united front, just like it wasn't instantly Kevin Owens comes to Sammy's defense. I think they wanted to put a little bit of doubt in you of like, are these guys fully on the same page yet going into this match? I, I, that that's what that's what I think that was. The shirt, it's a solid shirt. I know you do the KO Mania thing every year. It works. I, I that was my first thought too. Was shouldn't it be KO Zania? Yeah, it was right there. I think it's an okay shirt, but it, we we don't need to do this conversation now. This could be a last word down the road or something like that. But there needs to be a conversation about how awful most wrestling shirts are. This one I'll let pass because of the, the situation, but wrestling shirts, uh, I don't know if they've ever been worse. And so uh, we need to talk about that at some point in the future. They've gone away from just plain and simple to this. I mean, the LA night shirt, it's just a big LA and it's like, okay, that's a really good shirt. The Cody stuff, like yep, the Cody stuff. I Look, people are going to buy it because they love Cody and that's what he's doing and all that, but they are so freaking ugly. I would never wear any of those it's Cody shirts. Lot. Yeah. They are way it's over the lot. top. It's a lot. They are. All right, let's go over to Raw. Sammy with KO in a backstage promo mentioned that this is the biggest tag team championship match of all time. I will address that in a moment. He explained that they started in Montreal together, but Los Angeles is actually with where they got their big break, which is accurate, referring to pro wrestling gorilla. They didn't say it on TV, but that's what he's talking about. And now they get to fight in LA at WrestleMania as a team. KO reiterated everything that Sammy said. He passionately broke down how this is the biggest thing they could ever actually achieve together. There was no mention of this being the night one main event, but that was the indication here, the way they were speaking. And there's little to doubt what they said is true because it's the note I had written down before Raw on Monday. This, Chris, is arguably the biggest tag team title match in WrestleMania history, at least going into the show from a prestige standpoint. And it seems on pace to be the first tag team match to main event WrestleMania since WrestleMania won. And again, that was a celebrity match. That would mean this would be the first time the tag team titles would ever main event a WrestleMania. It should happen. And ultimately, especially after this awesome promo, I'm even more convinced what I told weeks ago that I said to you guys all on the show, it will happen. This will main event WrestleMania night one. Yes, it absolutely should for all those reasons. I would put an asterisk because there are two main events, kind of like the two title belts. It's not the top match on the card, which is the main event. This sure. It's the thing that CM Punk used to talk about all the time with, with the main event. But yes, this is 100% deserving of that spot. And also, I, I, I looked this up yesterday. Did you know the Usos in their career mm -hmm. have one singles tag team match on the main card of WrestleMania in their career. Interesting. They've been in multi several team matches. They've been in singles tag matches on the kickoff. Wasn't that, shows. wasn't that last year? It was last year. Yeah. Boogs and Nakamura, Nakamura and, and yeah. Boogs and Boogs got hurt. So like 
Kale and Sammy 100% deserve this moment, and they've been the focus of the story. But the Usos are one of the greatest tag teams of all time. Absolutely. And they and they 100% deserve this moment just as much as Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn do. Because again, they started the Bloodline story back in the day. The Sami story was great, but they were an integral part of that. Mm-hmm. And this reign is the longest reigning tag team single run in the history of WWE. This is an this is an all-time iconic moment. They deserve that spot. Uh, they have proven to be more than just Roman Reigns' lackeys. Mm-hmm. They have a, a great legacy. There's going to be so many last-second pin breakups in this match yeah. that I cannot wait for. The Usos are the greatest ever doing that. So just wanted to shout them out, too, that they 100% deserve this moment uh, for what they've accomplished in their careers. And it's not just in their careers. It's what they've accomplished in this storyline. Uh, again, yes. our, I will keep saying it. Greatest storyline in professional wrestling history. If you want to add arguably in front of that, that's your prerogative. I, I accept that as well. We've discussed this match and this bloodline storyline ad nauseum to where I'm not sure there's much else to opine about that we haven't already said. And it's a long show and it's going, you know, it's our longest show of the year. Every year, WrestleMania Ultimate Preview is our longest show of the year. But this was the right match for Sammy and KO. And it was the right match for the storyline. And credit to WWE for getting us here in tremendous fashion because there were some people who were mad, of course, that Sammy didn't win the title from Roman Reigns and they didn't see how this would work. But we got incredible, multiple incredible storyline moments that have all delivered over the last few months to get us to this point. It started at War Games and it's ending here. The Usos, as you mentioned, will enter this match with a 621-day reign nearly double the longest in NXT history. Not really, more like a third, but it's huge. And it's way longer than the New Day's reign. It's actually six days shy of the New Day's four combined Raw title reigns. And 621 days is longer than anyone in WCW or NWA as well. So is it historic? It is a historic title reign. But... It needs to end. And the only way for this bloodline storyline to move forward is for the titles to be changed. WWE eschewed Sammy beating Roman Reigns in Montreal so he could win the tag team titles with his best friend and brother in Los Angeles. And the added element that they delivered on Raw, the importance of the city to them, it just cemented what we have long known. Sammy and KO become the new tag team champions Saturday night in what will surely be an incredible match in front of an insane crowd. And when all is said and done, it could be among the best matches of all of their careers. Completely agree. This is, this is the amazing story. KO and Sammy are 100% winning this match without a doubt, but this is going to be such a fun match. The finish is going to be great the celebration. I can't wait for all of this. Just really, really hope it's the main event of night one. Yeah. It should be. And it's just a great culmination of everything. This is, this like is the stamp of WWE's hopeful, you know, reinvigoration of the tag team division mm-hmm. to, to put it on this, to put it on this level. The, the things you can do, you know, 
they often open a show with a tag team match to get the crowd really excited. I think Usos, Boogs, Nakamura opened last year. It did. One. Correct. Uh, and, it, and it's a great entertainment spot, but, but to have a story like this behind a tag team feud is just really awesome. And it's a reminder of why people like tag team wrestling. So yeah. hopefully it can be a cell. It, it can be a celebration of tag team wrestling just in general to reach that spot. And don't forget, I mentioned this on last week's show. People beg WWE to take the tag team division more seriously. You can't want that and then be angry that the best built tag team match in years, maybe ever. I mean, it's incredible is going to main event to WrestleMania just because you want a women's match there. The women have had their opportunities. They're going to have plenty of them in the future. I think it would make a lot of sense if they put both of those matches as co-main events on the two nights to kind of say, hey, we're going to call the main events and they're in that second spot, but these other matches are a little bit bigger. That's all cool. Um, you know, equality really to me is about everyone operating on the same playing field and on the same playing field, the bloodline story is just leagues bigger and better than anything else that's happened in happening in WWE now. And as many would say, many things that have happened in WWE historically. And this match, the tag team match absolutely deserves to main event night one, just as, and I'll go ahead and repeat the sound drop. This is the main event. The main event of the entirety of WrestleMania, especially night two, the undisputed WWE Universal Championship, Roman Reigns defending against Cody Rhodes. So first, SmackDown and Raw. On SmackDown, Cody fought Ludwig Kaiser. Paul Heyman walked out after the bell. Cody set up for a crossroads when Sola Sokoa joined Heyman walking down the ramp. Giovanni Vinci threw a jacket in the ring to distract the referee for a double team on Cody. That led to nothing as Cody hit the Cody cutter and crossroads for the win. After the bell, Heyman apologized to Rhodes for Samantha Irvin's ring announcement. Talk about a heel move. He got booed for that. Deservingly so, no one talks shit about Samantha Irvin. Uh, then he made a Cody solo match for Raw, saying Roman would be waiting on SmackDown next week if he survives. Rhodes shot back. He should probably say no, but since he beat Seth Rollins with one arm and Sokoa is not ready for him, he'll do it. It was a strong TV match, strong promo from Cody. The confrontation was fine overall, but it getting defined that Roman would not be on SmackDown or the forthcoming Raw, missing two of those final three shows before WrestleMania, was legitimately shocking to me. This is the guy. This is the biggest show of the year. I was floored by him not appearing on both of those shows, let alone any of them individually. And really, nothing else about the segment mattered much, even though Cody did look good against Kaiser. He looked good against Kaiser, but he needed three crossroads to beat him? That was weird, and I've yeah. made this point before. Where like Cody's Cody's finisher is basically three fin three of his moves. He just does he that three sometimes. To beat Seth. Yeah, he need he needed three to beat Seth from the very first match a year ago, and ever since then, like that's the standard. So that was, I, I saw it. I was like, we do we really need three crossroads to beat Kaiser? <laughs> like yeah, he's, he's depowered his own. Well, hey, hey, let me let me um, let me do a let me do a thirty second timeout. Rollins used two yeah. stomps to beat Mustafa Ali in a squash. Yes, but he was like trying to make a point. We we don't always see that. I know. I I'm just saying. Trying to like. I'm playing devil's make advocate. Make an impact, but you know, it's just yeah. So it, it, you're right. It was fine. It, Cody's fine, but like, you know, when Roman's not there, there's just not as much to play off of, and it's it's a big gap. Yeah. No, you're right. It is. Uh, on Raw, Cody then fought solo. Cody backstage disagreed that taking the match was a mistake, saying he wanted to keep his fire burning hot, as he also proved Sokoa was not ready. 
Heyman later said Cody doesn't fear the tribal chief because he's not ready himself, never has been ready. It was a great, relatively long promo from Heyman, but that was the gist of it. I didn't want to kind of go over everything that he said. Rhodes in the match ate two Uranagis into the announce table. He had a disaster kick, Cody Cutter, and a really slow crossroads, but he didn't cover in this really odd delayed sequence where they were talking to each other and Solo got his foot on the rope for the pin attempt. Cody then ate shit on a moonsault. He ducked a Samoan spike and hit a second Cody Cutter. Then the Usos entered to distract with Cody eating a thrust kick and a spinning solo for a false finish. I think he's the first person to kick out of spinning solo. I could be wrong. Uh, Sammy and KO, even the sides taking out the Usos. Solo caught another Cody Cutter attempt, but Cody escaped the Samoan spike and hit crossroads on Sokoa for the one, two, three with Solo suffering his first loss in WWE on the go home to WrestleMania. And the crowd for this was on fire. Now, this largely went as expected. The Cody and Paul promos built the WrestleMania match more than the solo match itself did, but I get why they wanted Cody working on the go-home show. All in all, it was a slow week for the main event, building it, but it's not like they needed any further huge moments, and we know the final one is going to come on Monday at the WrestleMania SmackDown. It's more frustrating for us doing a podcast where we're doing an ultimate preview than it is for fans watching that don't have to worry because they know they're going to get that moment on Friday. We didn't. We got to talk about it now. Yes. And it's an interesting point to raise here. This may be the last time for a while that we have a champion who's not showing up to almost every show. Like Cody's there putting in the work, doing his thing, doing the house shows, doing all the stuff that's part of what he's wanted to do. And I just thought about that. I was like, man, Roman's not on SmackDown, Roman's not on Raw, but Cody's doing matches on both of these. Oh man, when he's the champion, like we're going to see this all the time. Like there's so many possibilities. So that just, that popped into my mind. Cause yes, we have to talk about Cody Roman without the final confrontation right now. So it's, it's, it's kind of a weird spot, but it is what it is. Also the first crossroads that Cody hit on solo got no reaction from the crowd because a single crossroads doesn't mean anything. True. He got a second one in the match. He got, he, he hit a second one later in the match for the win after the run-ins and stuff. So there was a lot more energy behind it. So it worked. But I just, going off of SmackDown and Raw, you know, how many times you use the finisher, that just, I wanted to follow up on that. You are right about that, but there was something really awkward with that situation. Almost like he was waiting for the Usos to come out and do the interference then before he hit it, but they didn't, so then he hit it. It was, something went wrong. I don't know what it was, but I, I give an excuse for that, though, because the fans picked up on, like, this isn't going the way it's supposed to. They And they they fixed it. They repaired it soon after. Um, Mm -hmm. but that's, you know, the way that transpired. Now, Chris, if we have discussed the tag team part of this storyline ad nauseum, I'm not sure I have a word to describe how long we've been talking about when Roman's reign would end here ad infinitum. That's, that's the word. Uh, here's the facts. This is one of the biggest WrestleMania main events in history. It's the most important main event for the company since 2019, Becky, Charlotte, Ronda, the triple threat at 35. It's the biggest main event for the WWE title since 2013, The Rock against John Cena. And from a pure storyline standpoint, it's probably the biggest since 2010, The Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels streak versus career. We've already discussed this storyline and its greatness so many times on this show. As I said earlier, for me, hopefully it's the last time I say it, the singular greatest wrestling storyline of all time. 
full stop. We've also booked this main event so many times over the last nine months, <laughs> how it would happen, who's going to win, the way it's going to transpire. And in the end, I come down to a pair of possible finishes because I doubt this is going to be squeaky clean from bell to bell. So here are my two ways I think this match finishes. The first, they do a countout finish just like with Dusty Rhodes in Madison Square Garden when he failed to win the WWF title. Except this time, Triple H restarts the match and they do a Dusty finish, which would certainly be apropos. Perhaps he restarts it as no DQ, no countout. That could lead to all the others coming down, distracting, interfering, being cleared away, and Cody winning the undisputed WWE Universal Championship. Option two, they skip the dusty finish and they roll with the booking that I have long expected. Interferences, saves, and at the end, you have Jey Uso who either hesitates or chooses not to super kick Cody or is somehow put in a position where he could make the save but ultimately chooses not to or gets wiped out from doing so, which leads to Roman Reigns, of course, having problems with Jey Uso in that moment, perhaps in some way costing him the titles. Either way, of course, Cody Rhodes leaves WrestleMania 39 as the undisputed WWE Universal Championship, and I have to believe if the interference stuff does go down either way, Jay playing a key role in that is crucial to continuing the bloodline story without the titles. Cody is winning this match. It is wild and honestly kind of cool that Roman has been the champion for so long and there are people who want that to continue. I'm going to talk like, about that momentarily, just so you know, but go ahead. Okay, I just, that is so, it's such a credit to Roman and this character mm -hmm. that for years and years and years, nobody wanted him to be the champion. And now you've got a lot of people who don't want him to lose the belt because he has been so good here. Like that, that is just an, a remarkable accomplishment by everybody involved. But Cody is winning this. Like they have told a very good story. They are selling finish the story with the WrestleMania font <laughs> t-shirts. Yes. Like it, it's going to happen. This is the moment you build the next number one guy. This was the whole point of this Roman reign. We said it forever. We said it a year ago at WrestleMania that that wasn't going to be it. Was it going to be Big E? Was it going to be McIntyre? Was it going to be somebody else? Like, who is the who is the guy? Whoever beats Roman has to be the next guy. That's Cody. Mm -hmm. Cody is that guy. And so this is this is this is everything that it was supposed to be. And I still maintain that they that Cody has three stories going on in this, and they've all been really good. One of them, you tore the peck last year, and you come back from it to win the Rumble, get your title shot. Basic, simple, good story. His father never won the title. That's the story he told the day after WrestleMania last year, doing it for his family and his father and everything. That's a great story. And then number three is that he quit WWE because he felt he could do better and that he wasn't being used properly. Creates a whole separate wrestling company, gets their attention, they bring him back and thrust him to the very top. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the dream of every person like who doesn't like the job that they're in. Mm -hmm. Like WWE can't lean into that too much, 
but they talked about it a couple weeks ago on SmackDown when Roman called him out at it. So I just, Cody has such a captivating story for so many different angles. That's why everybody's behind him. That's why the woe on his entrance is getting louder and louder with each one. Everybody's behind him. And it's going to be a really freaking cool moment when he wins. For anyone who bet on themselves, you know, because they felt that they, they wanted to, to do something and to reach that pinnacle, to do it for your family, to do it for your father, to come back from a, from a low moment. It's everything you want in a story. Mm -hmm. And so they haven't, they haven't done a video package for this yet. I really hope we get it on SmackDown, but this can and should be one of those like all time. We look back on it. WrestleMania video packages before a match because it's all there. And I, and I, I hope they tell that story, but this is going to be really, really cool. Yeah. You absolutely nailed it. You know, that is the lingering question though, is, is there any possible booking with Reigns retaining the titles that could be considered acceptable? And for me, I can't find it. So 1000 days, which is like the next hallmark that Reigns could reach with this title reign. It's an arbitrary number. Like sure, it's even and round and it's nice, but he would need to keep the titles for more than a year, which means retaining again at WrestleMania 40 if he wanted to pass Hulk Hogan's reign of 1,474 days, the longest single reign uh, in WWE history. He's already in rarefied air with Hogan, Bruno Sammartino, Bob Backlund, and Pedro Morales. Beating Pedro at 1,027 days is doable if they change the title at SummerSlam. That would eclipse a thousand. It would put Roman in the top five all time. But the cost of doing that, delaying the title win for a nuclear hot baby face, having delayed it for four months and pissing off your fans by not delivering at the main event of WrestleMania. It is a cost that is way too high for again, what is largely an arbitrary number. To this point, especially with this storyline, Triple H and largely Paul Heyman, of course, as I mentioned earlier, they have earned our trust. Every single decision has worked, even against some fans' wishes, such as the Sami Zayn situation. But this entire build, all of this storytelling, all of this booking, it comes down, Chris, to three words we have reiterated for weeks. Land the plane. It is on descent. The landing gear is out. We're making our final approach. The runway is clear. There is absolutely no reason to pull up. Land the plane. And like we said at the beginning of this podcast, it doesn't have to end the bloodline story. We both said there's probably a Roman Reigns versus Jay thing coming. Like it's not the end of the bloodline. It's the end of this, of this, uh, almost record long title reign and, and the reestablishment of Roman Reigns as a top guy, one of the greatest heels we've ever seen. Uh, this is landing. The plane is landing the plane of the title change. And that, that is what they're, they're, they're set up to do. I didn't actually talk about how I guess the match will play out. I agree. We're, we're going to get interference. It's going to be. Usos are going to come out. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn are going to come out. Solo's probably going to come out. Maybe Paul Heyman does something. 
I love that stuff. Like the biggest moments in the Attitude Era had that just kind of like madness, craziness, ref mm-hmm. gets knocked out type of stuff. That's when that ha- we're all going to be waiting for it in that match. And when a ref gets knocked out or something, like everyone's going to like stand up and be like, oh boy, like something's happening here. I think, I, I, I think what we could see is Solo about to Samoan spike Cody and then Jay super kicks Solo to save oh, his own brother. Oh man. I don't know about that. Yes. Maybe. And, and Cody wins and Cody wins the match. It could be, that could, well, no, well, I don't know because it his, his feud is with Roman, not with Solo or anything like that. But I'm just trying to think of it in a way where it's like Jay doesn't super kick Roman. Then Cody wins. I think. Cody well, that's, that's kind of what I was getting to. So it's like, it's yeah. like Solo interferes, KO runs out, stops him. Jimmy interferes, Sammy stops Jimmy. Jay comes out, we're all thinking he's going to you know, do something. He chooses not to, or he waits long enough making the decision that KO attacks him you know, and then prevents him from doing it. Like That's really, I think, the way yeah. that you ultimately play it out. But the same result, it, the, the result is Cody winning at the end of a interference sequence. What I would love personally, and this is the way I always think when there's an interference finish that any match, including a heel winning, should end, but especially a babyface, is you do the interference stuff, and then you, like, not restart the match, but you don't just end it right after that. Like, you give it right. 60 seconds, two minutes, three minutes of them going back and forth, and then that person comes out on top. That way, it's still a legitimate win. It feels clean, even though there were other circumstances involved in it. Yeah, maybe it, maybe it's like Jade takes the chair out of Roman's hand or something like that. And right, do it on your like own. Hits Roman something like something that. And then Cody wins. He like, right. He he just he, he Jay is there to even the odds. Yeah, you know, in in Cody's favor. I do want to make one correction just quick because I said Hulk Hogan has the longest reign for the WWE Championship in history. That's obviously not correct. He's the longest modern day reign. Bruno Sammartino is like basically double yeah. that. At, 2,800 days yeah. and Bob it's like 10, it's like 10 years. Yeah. yeah. And and Bob Backlund, they recognize him as like 2,100 days, even though he only held it for 650 days or something like that. So the point is it would break the modern day record if Roman retained through 39 and through 40. But again, for all the reasons I laid out earlier, really no good reason for that to happen. So Chris, that is the WrestleMania 39 Ultimate Preview in terms of picking all the matches. Before we get to our pre-show expectation grade, which we're going to do in a moment, I just thought we'd spend two minutes or three minutes talking about what else we would like to see on the show that is not blatantly booked and out there for us. And I have a couple of things I'm going to run through, okay? There's nothing I want more. The number one thing that they could do is LA Knight in the ring talking shit, Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods entering to shut no, him look, up. Look, hold, hold on. Yes, I just want to say, you just said, just for the record here, Adam Silverstein, the Silver King, just said one of the things he really hopes to see at WrestleMania is L.A. Knight. Yeah, just wanted to put that out. Okay, yes, but <laughs> you keep bringing this up, and I don't, we, dude, this show is so long. You keep bringing this up, but I feel like there's going to be a lot of people <laughs> listening, so I have to clear the air a little bit. I didn't like him when he debuted in NXT. I know. As a heel. I know. Once he went babyface and figured out his gimmick, I liked him. I still hate the name. The name sucks, but I like him, period. And anyway, you took my thunder here. LA Knight's in the ring talking shit. New Day enters to shut him up. Kofi Kingston's hurt. He can't wrestle. Xavier Woods already beat him. And all of a sudden, Big E comes out making a triumphant return from his broken neck. Let's not forget, he apparently had 
those tests done or he was going through his evaluation in early March. We have heard nothing about that. Biggie coming out at WrestleMania, returning to the ring. I could not think of a more incredible surprise moment than that. If not Big E, a returning Randy Orton, a returning AJ Styles, potentially Stone Cold Steve Austin to stun LA Knight. All great options. Bobby Lashley, I mentioned earlier, coming out of the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. If they get into a tussle there, they could have a surprise match on the show. That would be interesting. Speaking of Lashley, you know, we're going to get Lesnar Omas. I know that's the match, okay? I wouldn't mind if Lashley inserted himself into that. His surprise entrance would get a huge pop. It would fit the Elimination Chamber finish. Lesnar could still win without Lashley taking the fall. It'd be a sight seeing not just two, but all three of these guys just slinging meat all around that ring. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. And then lastly, earlier I laid out the booking for the women's tag team titles. I just think it makes a lot of sense. WWE, they're going to have to get the title off Lita unless they're going to have her drop it on Raw or in Puerto Rico at Backlash. I can't imagine she wants to be visiting Raw's for another month. So I think doing that would add some excitement. It would put a really big match on the card. Becky and Lita against Ronda and Baszler makes a lot of sense. Those are the three things I would like to see at WrestleMania. All good stuff. The one I'll add is The Rock in some form. I don't want The Rock coming out and costing Roman the match to set up a match next year. Not that. But like Rock comes out, announces the crowd, attendance, record, whatever. And then at some point, like maybe when Roman's getting ready for the match, he's with Heyman and he starts walking and he and he just crosses paths. With oh, that would be cool as shit. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I just, I want, don't, don't involve him in, in the finish, but give me rock and give me a hint of rock Roman. Even if you don't know when it's going to happen, but just do it every single time. Roman Reigns is on the tonight show and all these other shows. He keeps getting asked about the rock. So just like, give us a little something. I would love that. All right. So Chris, it is now officially time for our pre-show expectation grades as we wrap up our ultimate preview of WrestleMania 39. For everyone listening, you will have the opportunity to provide your own pre-show grades for WrestleMania night one and night two separately. You'll be able to do that on Saturday and Sunday, respectively, on Twitter, at Getting Overcast, where we will post polls. And of course, Chris and I right now are going to give our pre-show expectation grade for the entirety of WrestleMania. On each of those episodes, we will grade the shows night one and night two individually. And at the end, we will give our overall WrestleMania grade. So Chris, with that said, when we do the grading segments, you always get to go first. What is your expectation grade for WrestleMania 39? The expectation grade is an A. Stealing my thunder. I think I gave, I think I gave an A last year. Might have been A plus, but that was because I was going to be there. But they've done two of these, two two of these real two night manias now, and they totally have the pacing down. Mm -hmm. Neither night feels extremely long. So, so like I, I trust them handling that. We've got at least two iconic matches in the tag team and Roman Reigns. We've got a, a IC title match I can't wait for. I can't wait for Dominic versus Ray. We've got Cena in a match. We could have Brock Lesnar F5ing Omas. There is so much on this card that just plays towards wrestling fans. 
and almost nothing like two or three things maybe that I'm like not looking forward to. So this is a, a loaded card, which I think is going to leave us with iconic moments. That's always the big thing, you know, with me mm-hmm. coming out of something. Do we have iconic moments? We're going to go back and watch forever. I think this mania could have a couple of them. So I'm going with an A. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy that last year's card was pretty strong, but there were a lot of like celebrity stuff and some matches where you just looked at it and you kind of shrugged and you're like, do I really Mm -hmm. care about it? And the build for WrestleMania last year wasn't that strong either. In fact, it wasn't strong at all. It was was a very weak build for WrestleMania. This year, it's the exact opposite. When you look at this card, it just seems to me like it is going to be banger after banger after banger and top to bottom across both nights. I mean, again, I'm not going to repeat the line I've been using, but the culmination of this bloodline storyline with two main events that we've badly wanted to see for months, a year in one case, Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes, the undisputed tag team championships, the Usos, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. You can say all you want. And we have about both women's matches and the lack of of solid, exciting build for them. No doubt about it. From an in-ring standpoint, Flair Ripley we know can bang, and Belair Asuka, I am quite sure, can bang. I'm getting the demon back. We are getting, Chris, an absolute tonnage of (laughs) big, meaty man slapping meat. (laughs) In the Intercontinental Championship match, Rollins and Logan Paul it has a sneaky chance to be match of night one, match of perhaps even the entire show, just because we know how good Logan Paul shockingly is in the ring. You have a legends match with all the women. That's exciting. You have John Cena against Austin Theory, father, son, Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio. I mean, this thing and Brock Lesnar Omos, which will be a spectacle at, at a minimum, if not anything else, this has an opportunity to be an all time WrestleMania. And I could not be more excited. I mean, I guess that's not fair. I could be more excited if the women's booking was better, but it would be difficult to be that much more excited than I am going into this show. I did not think you were going to give it a flat A. I thought I was going to have the benefit of doing that here. That is my expectation grade. I expect this to be an A. And if every single thing hits the way we think it could, it has the opportunity to deliver an A plus show. The chance is out there. Last year, I think I was at a minus, and I may have been a little bit overly optimistic even going into that show, but I am confident in my A pre-show expectation grade here. I'm extremely excited for WrestleMania, and I'm excited to bring you all the rest of WrestleMania week here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Chris, before I get to what is to come and wrap up this show, is there anything else, anything lingering that you want to say about WrestleMania 39? No, I, I don't think so. I, I think this, like you just laid out, this, this could be one of the better, one of the best WrestleManias we've ever had. Last year's, I thought, was one of the most fun we'd ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is, you know, again, could be Vince's last, could not. I don't know. Like, there's so much. This feels like a paradigm shifting WrestleMania. A new champion, new tag team champions. Who knows about the future of the company? This feels like, you know, could be a just a, a step forward to something new for for a lot of different things. This is kind of it, it, not the end of an era, start of the Cody Rhodes era or something, but like one of those where like things changed after that. Yeah, it does seem like this could be a paradigm shifting WrestleMania. And 
it may not just be about the sale of the company, but don't forget, Triple H took over creative and actually was able to make major decisions like a week before SummerSlam or a couple weeks before SummerSlam. So he's concluding all of these storylines that were either being built for WrestleMania or headed in that direction. And he had people as champions installed. He wasn't going to just change all the titles, especially given there were a lot of shows that, you know, Royal Rumble, that is the featured match. Uh, War Games, he decided to do that and make that the featured match. Titles weren't on the line. So he's, you know, still continuing a lot of what the old creative and booking and plans were. This is really a chance for him to kind of stamp his foot down and say, this is the direction we're going forward. These are my first set of champions coming out of a WrestleMania and leave a mark, not just at WrestleMania itself, but on the Raw after WrestleMania, which I am incredibly excited for on Monday night. And certainly we'll talk about that a lot more following our instant analysis podcast on Saturday night and Sunday night this week. Chris, it was a great show, I think, and you guys certainly listening will be able to tell us if that was indeed the case, but this was just the tip of the iceberg for what is to come here as getting over combines with WrestleMania for an entire week of shows. Of course, this was the WrestleMania 39 Ultimate Preview on Wednesday. We will be back with your NXT Stand and Deliver Ultimate Preview Thursday. We will talk AEW and the ROH Supercard of Honor show on Saturday afternoon. We will have your NXT Stand and Deliver Instant Analysis early Saturday evening, a live show on Twitter Spaces previewing WrestleMania 39 Night 1 Saturday night as soon as that goes off the air, WrestleMania 39 Instant Analysis Sunday early evening, we will have another Twitter Spaces live show free for all of you. WrestleMania 39 Night 2 preview. Sunday night, of course, we will have your WrestleMania 39 instant analysis, not just wrapping up Night 2, but WrestleMania as a whole. And everything concludes on Tuesday with our Raw after WrestleMania show. Again, seven podcasts in eight days, plus two live shows, folks. We do it all for you. With that said, on the way out, a couple reminders. Let's not forget that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is all about Defy. And that, of course, means leaving five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you leave that review, we will read it live right here on the show. Don't forget, of course, to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, so much more. It is also where you get to vote in all of these expectation polls and post-show polls for WrestleMania and NXT Stand and Deliver this coming weekend. So you do want to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for all of that. And as I mentioned earlier, folks, we do have an official way for you guys to become Getting Overheads and contribute to the show to support and acknowledge myself, the Silver King Adam Silverstein, and Vintage Chris Vanini by using our new Patreon equivalent, buy me a coffee, hit our Twitter profile again at getting overcast, click the link tree link, and you will see directly how you can support us by becoming a member, either monthly or annually. You can also just decide, buy us a coffee, buy us a beer, whatever the case might be. You can do it all on the exact same page and we will provide exclusive bonus audios as well as news and some other fun items on that page. Many of you have requested this. We're bringing it to you and we are excited to kick it off on WrestleMania weekend. Thank you all so much for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast and being part of our extended family here. This week is just 
getting started. So for Vintage Chris Anini, this is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.